0: Oh, and welcome to spy hard's podcast where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list but remember this information is strictly for your ears only i am agent scott and i'm cam the provocateur and scott the dead are alive i, I have so many questions about that opening line and the how dead it ties into the film are alive sorry you have to you have to <laughs> shout it like the film does at you uh But we're already alluding to the film and we haven't introduced our guest Uh, joining us in this hurricane as we are all kites dancing in it. It is two gents joining us here on the show from Filmspeak, which I think is a a wonderful YouTube channel, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But we have Griff and Brody. Hello, sirs. How are you? Hey,
1: how's it going? going? Thanks for for having us. Really stoked to talk about uh, Spectre because I think... We may be two of the only people out there that will go to bat for this film
0: so Ooh. oh we we yeah. we may need this uh we may need this uh, inspiration here, yeah, yeah, we get yeah. To it. <laughs> but uh, maybe uh before we dive into the fourth Daniel Craig film a little bit let's talk about yourselves. Now, I mentioned film speak and you know you've got some wonderful video essays on your one on tomorrow Ever dies is probably one of my favorites because I think that's one of the best oh, thank you Bond films that was ever created. I will stand by that film forever. My man, yes, absolutely. I'm there with yep. you. Yes. <laughs> but um, you know, what inspired you to want to talk about James Bond? Maybe tell us a little bit each about your love of Bond and maybe spy films as well. Let's start with you, Griffin.
1: Yeah, um I mean, for me it was uh I I don't know, like it, I think it was like a gradual thing. Like it wasn't like an immediate, "Oh, Bond is my favorite film franchise of all time." It sure. was more of just like I found myself gravitating towards those movies um you know growing up whether it, it was mostly like you know the sean connery films like dr no uh from russian with love stuff like that and then uh through that it kind of went into the daniel craig era because i i mean like i, I was born in 95 so i like caught the tail end of brosnan but i didn't really like i, I I feel like I found those films a bit later. I, I was actually more uh, interested in the video games with Bond. Like Tomorrow Never Dies. Like, I, th- like that video game was like pretty um, influential on just like my love of the franchise, which is weird because I know a lot of people are usually like, oh, GoldenEye. Like that's, that was the thing that got me into Bond. And mm-hmm. uh, I, that wasn't necessarily the case for me. The, the film, though. Um, I think that that really hooked me was was Casino Royale because you know that was that came around, came out around the time when I was like you know a teen or maybe a tween I guess I was like in middle school or something like that um, and I just remember watching that movie and just like that that film just left such a massive impression uh, and and sort of like changed my life in a way because I was just like I fucking love movies and I want to keep. You know, I I want to just like do something with film in some capacity. Um, so yeah, Casino Royale played a played a big part in not only my love of the medium of the film medium, but just of um, you, you know, uh, of Bond as well. Uh, it was like you know, Batman Begins, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, and then uh, uh, Casino Royale. Those are those are like the three big movies that that had like a big, that left a big impression. On me and then so from there i just kind of like fell in love with the character and specifically daniel craig's interpretation of it um and and like through each of his films like you know i i i get something out of all of them like even you know i I have a video defending quantum of solace i mean that was one that Mm -hmm. like took a lot out of both of us in order to to kind of put together because it is so divisive i i guess among fans but i just i you know That was a movie that I saw in theaters. I was excited to see it, saw it, loved it, didn't get the hate, played the video games, all that stuff. So it was, you know, it was just a big part of my life. And then it just became an even bigger part of it as I as I got older and just was able to, you know, actually dissect these these big popcorn films as pieces of art and figure out like what they were trying to say Uh, and then, you know going back to the earlier films and discovering those and, and, you know, figuring out the, you know, what those movies were were saying about the time periods that they existed in. And so, um, yeah, I don't, it's just, it's just a fun franchise and uh, with a, with a lot to offer outside of just like, you know, the martinis, girls, cars also like that's, that was never the thing that hooked me on bond. It was the character. It was, it was, you know, what the, the emotions of it all and, and just like, yeah, I the, I guess the Fleming of it all, if you will. Sure.
0: No, no, and, and that Quantum of Solace video, I think, is a good uh, a good partnership with our review because I think we're we're both quite uh, defenders of of that film, along with David Ziritsky, another champion yeah. of that film on YouTube. So you're 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 in the same sort of group there on YouTube, which is nice. But Brody, what about you? Your sort of love for Bond and uh, and also your love for these films.
2: Yeah, I I kind of came about it a little more aggressively i guess <laughs> it was sort of like i i sort of i mean i'm the same age as griffin and uh but i think i caught the tail end of Brosnan a little earlier uh because I, I remember seeing the world is not enough that was the first one i saw i remember seeing that sure on tv right before i guess the Dying of the day came out and i mean i was i was a kid i didn't really fully comprehend what i was seeing but i just remember being like oh like the man jumps out the window and like that's that's cool and i want to see more of that and from there, it just sort of developed into this, I mean like I went in, in like maybe middle school into high school, I was like laser focused like super into this uh became the thing that like I was people would know oh yeah he if you want to know something about Bond like this guy knows like what to sort of say or what 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 the answer to your question is, and that was sort of my initial like, i i went in really hard with it um and then yeah I, I didn't end up seeing one in theaters until I saw quantum of Solace, which was um. Kind of a, because uh, I'd seen I saw Casino Royale at home, but my parents were like, "Yeah, we're not going to go take you to see this, you know, violent movie. Um, we'll watch it at home." Which I, I guess was I, don't know, yeah. I didn't see the difference, but like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow
0: it's safer apparently.
2: Somehow, yeah, I guess they
1: can. Well, y- they run just and switch it off. <laughs> they didn't want you they didn't want you to see Daniel Craig get his balls whipped on a massive freaking screen You know <laughs> they they were just like no 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 no. maybe you know You won't be able to see it if it's at home on the television Yeah, right? I you think know? maybe
2: because I remember that being like that was a big like kind of hysteria oh, yeah, about thing. that when yeah. it came out they were like oh my god this torture scene is quite it is quite intense, but like oh, yeah I remember yeah, that being yeah. like one of the big um, Sort of reactions to it. so we didn't see that and then I was old enough by quantum of solace that I could say oh, I'm going by myself and uh yeah so i and after that i just was i was sort of really into it i mean up and before i'd seen quantum i had been reading the books because that was sort of my outlet i was like oh yeah i want to get into these since i can't go and see these in theaters and mm-hmm. so in a similar like vein to griffin i think the character is what has really been the most resonant thing for me i i i, I don't know i think there's something quite compelling about how he isn't a great guy like i think like i mean james especially in the books james bond in the books is quite is is very complicated a very sort of um of his time character and obviously that's been adapted um in the films and you know he's sort of came to suit whatever time period he finds himself in but at the core of it there is this sort of darkness to him that as I as an adolescent boy I was like that really speaks to me for some reason I really I like the idea that this man can have all these sort of imperfections and yet still be in the end a force for good in some way even if you know that means pushing against you know the forces that be um, above him and so I I don't know I, I found that really compelling about the character and then yeah by the time I was old enough to understand you know my my media literacy had sort of uh, improved I was like yeah I, I, this is my bag now <laughs> I guess I I'm just into bond and uh yeah I mean and it's sort of it's sort of broadened out into other I, I love espionage in general I love spy fiction um and so yeah, it sort of spurred this lifelong passion. I have other interests, obviously, but um, Bond's always the something, the, the thing I come back to. So it's a comfort thing.
3: <laughs> I have a question for both of you. Yeah. Um, now you've said like you're defenders of Quantum of Solace. You've hinted that you have some positive things to say about Spectre, uh, two fairly polarizing Bond films. I'm curious though, when you look at the past of Bond, if you have any hot takes, whether positive or negative about previous eras or particular films.
1: Uh, my, I think my hottest take is that, and I don't know if this is necessarily a hot take anymore. I think people have kind of come around on it. Um, I think Moonraker might be the, maybe not the best Roger Moore film. Cause I think for your, for your eyes only takes the cake there, but like Moonraker is a better version of what, uh, Lewis Gilbert was trying to do with the spy who loved me. Um, Interesting. it's, I, I don't know. It just kind of like works for me. I, I don't look. I have a whole video talking about that too. So like you know, it's um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. And that was that was something that I didn't really come to until like a couple of years ago when I actually sat down to rewatch Moonraker. I think I had let the the zeitgeist kind of like get into my head and like, oh, Moonraker. It's stupid. It's Bond goes to space. Whatever. But I, I just remember watching it. I'm like, no. Oh, there's like, there's a lot going on here. That's like. Interesting, you know. Obviously, double taking pigeons aside and stupid stuff like that, but it
0: stupid. It, I don't know.
1: All of, all of the
4: well no. <laughs> <you> genius <know? laughs> genius. <yeah. laughs>
1: um, the god that gondola chase. I can't defend that. That's terrible. But um, <laughs> but I I don't know. That that is a I guess that is a pretty hot take. I
3: don't know. What about you, Brody? uh
2: well. I- it's going to be another Roger Moore, and I guess I think it's easiest to have a controversial opinion about Roger Moore because he is, yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> as time goes on, quite divisive. Uh, unfortunately, because I think he brings something uh, that we're probably never going to get again. So, um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's true. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I. When I' go on the record i do not stand by griffin's horrendous opinion that moonraker is better than the spy who Loved me yeah I wrote, is... I wrote that one by myself that was that he did not he didn't help me with that that was that, that was all shocking. me that was all me. yeah that's okay, I, can, I, I like moonraker but mm, i'm not gonna go that far i think and this is actually another one that i think has become more mainstream but i quite like um i've always like Dr. Pussy I think Dr. is it's not mm-hmm. it's not a like a perfect movie I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's like you know Citizen Kane or whatever but I think as a little <laughs> like as a as a blend of what Roger Moore was good as good at as Bond and what is interesting about Bond as like a literary character I think it kind of meets nicely in the middle there is like a nice synergy of goofy and you know actual spy intrigue that I think None of his other films really ever tap into because like you either on the other side of it with Moonraker or the for your Eyes only I think is a good film but I think it also is leaning as far away from what Roger Moore is good at as possible um or at least what I appreciate about appreciate about Roger Moore. Um, so you know it's kind of hard to say oh that's you know a perfect Roger Moore film because it's really not a Roger Moore film. It kind of works in spite of him, um, I think anyway. But yeah, Octopussy. I'll go to bat for octopus. Why not? <laughs> mm.
3: Yeah, I don't get that. That was a real favorite in my house growing up. So uh, yeah, both myself and my sister uh, can somewhat side with you on that one.
2: That's, that's the I, thing, I, was... I, I used to watch that one all the time. Sorry, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I, I was just going to say, I was genuinely worried your hot take was going to be something like, a view to a kill is the best bond film of all time no, we have like to we have to throw you out i
2: can't take that on this
0: show uh,
1: i do like a view to a kill as well maybe that in and of itself is a hot take yeah
2: max Zorin and and uh mayday they keep the thing going that's really they do. that yeah. is they do. everything else in that film is actively resisting being good and they are just there <laughs> pushing <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the stunts are pretty good, too. I, I'll leave
0: it at that. <laughs> you, you, you've got John Glenn. You're not going to miss when it comes to stunts. That's, that, yeah. that is for sure. But I, I get I get it with the Octopussy argument, and it, it does get sort of set from time to time. It's actually a very good spy thriller in in its own sense. From from our yeah. point of view, we haven't covered Octopussy yet, but from that yeah. perspective, it is quite an interesting film to talk about. Yeah, you know, The the death of, I think, is it 006? 00- six? Six? yeah No, it's, it's not 006. It's 009.
2: 009, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, both of us are wrong, 009, uh, which uh, which features again in this film, actually. They should have won with 008, you know, the eight tentacles. <laughs> yeah, that's a missed opportunity right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. Well, um, I think that cues uh, that us up beautifully with 009 to talk about this week's film. Cameron, I'll throw it to you. We've uh, already uh, said it, but what are we talking about this week? Yeah, we're tackling 2015's Spectre. The fourth, Daniel Craig Bond entry. It's it's an interesting one because I uh, I I bathed Skyfall in praise. I uh, I gave it a very long hot bath. <laughs> I I have a lot to say about Spectre, which I'll get to. But I suppose the question I have for everyone before I read the Letterbox.com synopsis for those who aren't aware of it: When Spectre came out, what was everyone's sort of thoughts on it? I I myself. Was quite lukewarm on it. I was quite excited going in because I was a big wrestling fan at the time. You got Batista in there, and he's actually one of my highlights of the film. And again, I'll touch on that later. But it just didn't like have the same energy for me that Skyfall did, and I I never really revisited it again until No Time to Die came out, and I watched it one more time as like a primer. So mm. until today, I'd only ever seen it twice. Oh wow! Oh wow! Damn. Yeah. Um, but uh, go with Brody. What about you?
2: Um, I, I have such a complicated relationship with this movie. Um, but when I first saw it, I was, I was really into it actually. I think I don't, I didn't like it as much as Skyfall. Did we
1: see it together? Cause I, I know this is, this was like when we were starting like the YouTube and the podcast and all this stuff like that. So we, I, we may have seen this movie together. I can't remember. I
2: didn't see it at first with you. I saw, I went up to Chicago okay. and I saw it in the, the IMAX. Um, okay so that's what we're, all at, right maybe like, right, pia yeah. and i yeah i i, I was hyped up because i mean I, I obviously skyfall had really given everyone this huge boost and i went in like i think immediately before i went into the movie the the reviews dropped and people were like "Ooh, this is not great and so i sort of had that in the back of my mind as i started watching the movie i'm like okay well i know people aren't you know digging this one as much and honestly i i I can see exactly why people don't like it. I will not stand here and tell you you're wrong because I get it. I just, for some reason, I vibe with it. It just, it, it for some reason, yeah, I, I connect with it and I can, that makes me more willing to sort of overlook its flaws. And that's, that was consistent from the very first go of it. I, I went through a, like a stint where I really sort of turned against it and I've sort of softened up on it again. So it's a bit of a, a curve there, but that's my journey. A
0: roller coaster ride. A roller coaster, right? A
2: little bit, yeah. Probably more exciting than the movie itself, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> No no comment just yet. Uh, Griffin, what about you? Obviously you didn't get to see it was Brody in person by the yeah. sounds of it the first time. But yeah, what did you think of Spectre when you first saw it?
1: Uh yeah, I don't know. I I, I know that my initial reaction was like I was like floored by the one take at the beginning. That's all I could talk. Yeah. About. I mean, I guess that yeah. is really all anyone ever really talks about with that film, but yeah, I was just like holy shit how did they pull that off like that's that's next level stuff and then it led to uh, you know 1917 which God bless love that movie um, yeah I I, if I'm being honest and I, I don't know if I necessarily remember how I felt I know I liked it but I obviously it wasn't better than Skyfall it wasn't better than Casino Royale I think I was like Comparing it to how I felt about Quantum at the time, but I just had such affinity for Quantum, so like I think even then when I saw it, it was my least favorite of the Craig movies. But I really liked the the atmosphere of it all. Uh, the the this might be controversial. I actually really really like Hoyt Van Hoytema's cinematography, um, and 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 the color palettes. Like I I think well we'll, we'll get into that later on. But yeah, I, I I you know I I liked it. I thought it was like a solid. Outing obviously some issues with with story and like the scripting and, and structure and like, you know, subplots not really linking up where they should be Um some rushed r- like relationships, the romance specifically. I know initially when, when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, that was like really rushed. I've kind of softened on that a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, my <laughs> journey with the film certainly isn't as interesting as, uh, Brody's has been. Like, I, I've seen... Pages upon pages of analysis from him, like just you know, just dissecting Spectre. Part of, like it's
2: just it's it's insane. Like the the lengths that he's gone to. Every time I watch it, I send Griffin like paragraphs. I'm like, "Hey, yeah. did you notice this about specter And it's like it's 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 actually psychotic. But yeah, no, no it's it's wild. Like well, I we
0: know we know what your next bomb video is on Film Speak now.
2: Honestly, we've been talking about it.
1: Well, it is. It's it's yeah. I mean, it's been that's that's a video that's been years in the making. Good God, but but um yeah no i look i think it's a fine movie that's actually made better by no time to die and uh mm. i i think it's pretty easy to for for uh, specter to become the punching bag and like yeah. it, it makes sense because it was the last bond film for like a 5 year gap until no time to die so everyone was going back to it it was the most because it was the most recent one. They were they were digging too deep into it and they were like nitpicking the shit out of it. And it's like I get it. It was the punching bag, and it's it, because of that lull uh, or that sorry, not that lull, that gap. Um, I, I don't know if it'll ever really get out of there. Maybe there will be some like retrospective sort of like reappraisal of the whole thing, but um, like what's happening with Quantum. But uh, I don't know. It's fine. It's 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 not the worst thing in the world
0: you never know maybe that's what we start here maybe the that's the it. line is drawn this week hey there we go you there never go. know you never know <laughs> camp you haven't told us what did you think of specter at the time
3: yeah uh so for me i know a lot of people walked out of this movie uh pretty hostile towards it because of this absolute adoration for skyfall and i didn't have that same adoration for skyfall like i liked skyfall i thought it was a very good movie but i did not walk out of it going classic Top tier bond doesn't get better than Skyfall. And so I remember going to Spectre and being like, yeah, that one was also good. I enjoyed that as well, just as I enjoyed Skyfall. And there was definitely elements that bothered me about it. Uh, Perhaps a brother twist we'll talk about later. I remember just like fighting with that in my head, trying to make sense of it. But in terms of, like, the overall journey, the action scenes, the kind of collecting of breadcrumbs along the trail, connecting everything together, I was like, oh, no, that was entertaining. It's hard to, like, walk out of a Bond movie, even a modern one, and say, like, I didn't like it because the plot was convoluted. Because then it's like, you got to go through the history of the franchise and be like, wait, License to Kill, Octopussy, Diamonds Are Forever. I guess I don't like those either because they're all convoluted. (laughs) So I don't really hold that against the movie. It was more about, like, the energy, the vibe, just... Uh, Sam Mendes' direction I was like no that was an entertaining package it's got some issues but I did walk out pretty happy and I did see it twice in theaters as well oh. which I did not do with Skyfall Skyfall I only saw the
0: once
4: oh wow wow
0: I don't know why <laughs> I thought I was going into like familiar territory I thought people would be on where perhaps I'm coming from with this film but it really seems like we may have a mixed bunch here which I think may lead into an interesting conversation but for those who haven't seen Spectre, and I don't know why you've clicked play on this episode <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen Spectre, but there you are, and we love you all the same. Here is your letterbox.com synopsis. Spectre, a plan no one escapes. A cryptic message from Bond's past sends him on a trail to uncover a sinister organisation, while M battles political forces to keep the Secret Service's alive, Bond peels back the layers of deceit to reveal the terrible truth behind Spectre. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Wow. dun dun dun! It is a terrible truth. Yeah, that that was a serviceable uh, synopsis there, but I guess that's the film.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, that's yeah, it. All yeah, right, I, this has been this has been great, guys. I, we yeah. should do it again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. thanks, Letterbox.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but before we get to the behind the scenes on Spectre, I do just want to let you know, folks, we do have some wonderful spy master interviews coming for you next week. Not only do we have the one and only Mr. Gary Powell, stunt coordinator extraordinaire, but we also have the lead costume designer for both this film and Skyfall, Miss Janny. To me, but we'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. Well, Cam, I, it's interesting because. We'll have a lot to chart, I think, when we go from Spectre to No Time to Die. But it is a three-year jump between Skyfall to Spectre. And, and, and what happened in between? Yeah, okay. So the story of Spectre is one that I
3: feel isn't fully told yet. I, I think like one day there's going to be a book written or something about the making of Spectre that's going to be so much more detailed than what truly is out there now, even though a lot is out there. Than then this episode. So you can click off now. <laughs> there's nothing here for you. <laughs> Well, you know, when you watch that, um, you know, that Bond documentary that Daniel Craig did, looking back at his career as Bond, when yeah. they got to, like, uh, Quantum, they're like, oh, that was a tough one. We struggled with the script. And then they just glossed right over <laughs> Spectre. They weren't quite ready to talk about Spectre yet. <laughs> <They
1: really did. laughs> Those Sony leaks. Those Sony leaks, man.
3: That's where a lot of the information comes from. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the ball got rolling on specter actually during production of skyfall where writer john logan who had worked on skyfall just started putting together notes on the film and john logan was a playwright and screenwriter who'd worked on movies like gladiator the aviator rango and they didn't the issue with with like specter was I don't know if there was a great sense of what they wanted to do next because it seems like it got a little kind of like hammered together over time. Now, initially after Skyfall, Sam Mendes was out. He was done. I think just exhausted from making the movie and couldn't really imagine jumping into another one. Now, apparently Eon wanted him back really bad. But they did meet with apparently Nicholas uh, Winding Refn, who'd worked on Drive. He turned them down. And they just decided they were better off to wait for Sam Mendes. He went off and did a co-direction of a national theater production of King Lear and then agreed to come back. And one of the things that kind of got him excited about coming back was he wanted to have a more proactive bond. He wanted more locations, more of a tonal variety. And Eon agreed with this and were on board. He also really wanted like a duality concept going like hot and cold, day and night, love and hate life and death and so like when it came to like locations he wanted a hot location and a cold location he wanted this like thread of dichotomies to run through the course of the film and i guess the question is did any of you
0: pick up on that when you're watching the movie
4: (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) Well, i I was
0: certainly cold at some points
4: (laughs) yeah
1: The, the life and death. Yeah. Yeah. The life and death for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Past and present.
3: Yeah. yeah. At one point, verbally, they do mention it. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The dead yeah, are yeah, alive. Yeah.
2: They're simultaneously they <laughs> They are. Yes. They, yeah. they are.
3: I feel like that uh, opening quote might be like a vestigial tale of what the original like, concept was for the themes of the movie. But uh, apparently, like Sam Mendes and, Lo- and John Logan really want to use Spectre and Blofeld. And Eon was basically like, okay, those rights aren't settled, but go ahead and we'll figure it out. And so while they worked on the screenplay, they settled all those age-old problems that go back to our Thunderball episode, our Never Say Never Again episode. There has been many decades of issues with Blofeld and uh, what have you in those rights. So the first script that John Logan wrote was called The Death Collector. And it had elements like the Day of the Dead sequence that opens this movie. Uh it did end though with a um, car chase versus a, a helicopter battle. Okay, I'd say that's probably an
0: improvement that we had then. Yes. Yeah. Well, debatably. We'll we'll see when we get to the actual review. Oh but, wow! Um... This is just gonna be me and Cam fighting the whole episode. You guys are <laughs> no, gonna have no, to no, be no. like referees. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Split it up, guys. Come on. I'm
0: not saying one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I wonder if that car chase was then put in later, like the 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 Lamborghini chase, like in
3: uh, Rome. In Rome. Yeah. That's my yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is where the Sony hack comes into play because a lot of this information probably would have been lost to time. If you go through the Bond archives book, which I always do when I'm putting together notes, it glosses over a lot of what went into making the story of uh, of um, Spectre. Mm. And so thanks to the... Uh, Sony hack which was perpetrated by hackers it seems from North Korea it's never been 100% confirmed but seems to be the case they were unhappy with their representation and die another day I was literally <laughs> yeah. about <to> say
4: that.
3: <laughs> home run home run <laughs>
1: yes yes
3: yeah where they leaked all these inner office memos from Sony and scripts and all that sort of stuff and a lot of movies were affected by this I think the amazing Spider-Man franchise uh there was a whole bunch of stuff but the uh, specter film was uh, it fell victim to this where an early draft of the screenplay hit the internet as well as a lot of inner office notes and it became very clear there was a lot of friction between sony and eon over this movie sony was not happy with the script they did not like where the story was going they referred to it as a mess there was a lot of fighting over production costs about how much this movie was going to cost and also like because of just the the issues with figuring out the storyline, Sam Mendes was basically on the fence and considering walking. And so it was at this point that, like the producers brought in Neil Purvis and Robert Wade basically to save the film. They were actually going to kind of leave the franchise after Skyfall, but it was very much a you have to get back here and save this film because what we have is not working, and we have a deadline
0: coming up, okay. Now, I I had heard of this Sony hack, but I don't know much about what's the leak, I should say. I don't know much about what else was out there, but is all this information public now and you can go sift through it if you want to? You can, yeah, because there was other details
3: that were also revealed, like Irma Bunt was going to be a a character in the story that was cut um, there was also flirtations with making Blofeld an African warlord or dictator, Yeah, and that, she would tell yeah. Ejiofor was linked with the role. This was widely reported at mm-hmm. the time, yeah, yeah, and that just obviously never wound up being the case in the film. And they did actually consider Ejiofor for the C role, but just decided he was too expensive for that particular role. And so that's how they got Andrew Scott. Um, they also apparently considered making this movie a two-film deal. Kind of like a Harry Potter slash Hunger Games thing where the story was getting so big that it would require two films to tell. Oh, God. I
0: could I could just hear <laughs> Twitter exploding now. For, <laughs> yeah, it, it's reverberating yeah. through time from 2015. They just don't like this concept. Uh, no, I don't think that would have uh, uh, sold very well. I can guarantee if this had been a two-film deal, Daniel
3: Craig would not have come back for a No Time to Die <laughs>
1: Yes, Ooh, that th- he yeah, would have he actually slashed his wrists. That <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. what actually yeah. would have happened. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Would it have been just like Specter Part One? Is that what it, just what they would have called it? Can you imagine a Bond film having a Part One?
1: That's well, yeah. I, I I remember like uh, I think very early on they they were like okay, the Craig era is going to end with like a two parter. It's going to be like the fourth film and the fifth film. They're both going to be their own sort of movies, but there's going to be like connective tissue that that allows it to kind of like finish his arc, which I guess in a weird sense is kind of what they did because mm-hmm. no time to die is I like that idea. They
4: like- yeah, they did hang on <laughs>
1: and they made it, I mean, to their credit, at least in my opinion, I think they made it work, but um, yeah, that is, that is so weird. Like I can't picture like a part one, part two deal, like only half the story, like that, that, that's not a bond thing. Even if the the films are linked in some capacity, they need to be able to stand on their own as individual stories, you know?
3: It's so much though. this franchise is always jumping on trends. Yeah, right. There's trends that are alive and well in Spectre that were popular at the time. And it's almost like they would have been on point to adopt this whole two-film thing because so many other franchises were doing it at that point. Yeah. But I am glad it did not happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
3: And so when uh, Purvis and Wade came in, they delivered their first draft after three months, and they titled the film Spectre, so they were the ones that uh, officially set the title. And introduced the Snowden-inspired uh, Nine Eyes story with Andrew Scott and surveillance, and all that sort of stuff. They also decided on the surprise leader being Blofeld overseeing this entire operation. Um, they also came up with the idea of making M a villain, to which Ray Fine said, "Nope, not happening." And they were like, "Oh, oh okay. Well, uh, what about what about Tanner?" And that didn't fly either. And so that's how we wound up with C being created, was
0: because Ray Fines was like, get the hell out of here with that. <laughs> yeah. What does C stand for? Change of plans.
4: Change of plans.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of would have liked M being the bad guy. I think that would have. I mean, maybe maybe it was maybe too soon with his M to really may have that have any resonance, but I I like the concept of it. I'm sure they'll come back to that eventually, but <laughs> like they, as they usually do.
1: Well, see, well, I, he kind of is. He kind of is the bad guy in No Time to. I mean, not the bad guy, but like he it's is antagonistic. an antagonistic force in No Time to Die. So, like, I think you did need Spectre and like Bond coming to have that respect for Mallory. I mean, I guess that kind of happens at the end of Skyfall, and now it's it's a bit more of a working relationship. You get more of like the father son dynamic as opposed to like the mother son dynamic from, from the, the Judy Craig sort of thing. So I, I I like how they, how they work that out. And so that they're by the end of specter, it's like, okay, no Mallory's really like, I I feel like I can let go of my apprehensions about him because, um, you know, we were able to work through this together and he was able to trust me as an agent with instincts. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, I I don't I don't hate the the M being a villain idea either, but but yeah, they definitely needed like a middle chapter, like like a regular chapter with Mallory before they even kind of dipped their toes into that kind of thing.
3: It would feel, I think, a little more like say a frustrating example of the jump from Quantum to Skyfall, where it's like yeah. Bond, you're a young agent too. Bond, you're old.
4: Yeah, and we kind of yeah. let
3: that one go, but I think like the jump from Mallory being introduced as the new M to mallory being a villain would just be like a little too much of a whiplash situation
1: it would like undo that final scene in skyfall where it's like they have that mutual respect they yeah. come together and he's like all right we can work together we can do this
0: yeah they do uh they do kind of uh, evolve their relationship though he emma's got very tired of bond's shit very quickly yeah. and he's like you've gone rogue bond and it's like didn't <laughs> i just Join up with you last week, Mallory. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what happened in the like a couple of years in between? Has he just gone rogue a bunch of times?
2: Bond's a very tiring man to work with. It doesn't take I, I can imagine. <laughs> a
0: lot of paperwork when Bond is oh, your employee. Yeah.
2: He's a disobedient son. It was fun when he wasn't the boss. It was like, oh yeah, I'll yeah. go along with it. And now it's like, oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh,
3: so the Oberhauser twist also was hammered down by Purvis and Wade. Apparently this was something that they struggled with right from Inception all the way through shooting, was trying to make this work. And they took this from the novel Octopussy, and it was something that Sam Mendes was really interested in and proved to be the biggest hurdle for them in terms of writing the screenplay. And we'll debate whether that worked out. But apparently like what settled Sam Mendes down and actually kind of got him like, secured as opposed to being on the verge of leaving was the hiring of Leia Sadú. And Christoph Waltz, who he's really excited about working with. And things kind of... Once Purvis and Wade had something workable, things settled down. They did, however, bring in Jez Butterworth, who'd done uncredited Skyfall work. Uh, He's probably best known for Edge of Tomorrow or Black Mass. And he did a considerable amount of work on this if he got a credit. Because he'd done polishes on Skyfall without credit. And apparently he was guided by uh, Daniel Craig and Sam Mendes during production on this movie... And I would have to guess that means a fair amount changed over the course of shooting. Because I found a note, the 16th draft of the script introduced the uh, torture surgery chair that plays a prominent role in the Blofeld sequence later in the movie. That was like added months and months and months into production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like this was something that was not in the scripts that were being greenlit and going through production.
2: I remember one of the leaks. I remember reading um, the, what, the original confrontation because I, I know that confrontation, the third act, was the thing that nobody agreed on right up until the end. Uh, they sort of, I mean, obviously there was a lot of disagreement throughout the production, as you've sort of laid out. And the, but the the third act, and I think it, I think without skipping ahead, it shows that's the part of the movie that I think even people who like the movie, like myself, yeah, the third act kind of falls apart. Um, I, I remember reading one of the leaks where they said they were trying to debate. What the like the final confrontation between well not the final but the first confrontation between Bond and Blofeld should be and I remember the you might be getting to this in your notes I don't want to skip ahead but there was something like like a like a card game that Bond and Blofeld had played as young men that it was it involved like conch shells or something it involved it involved some like weird <laughs> like idiosyncratic kind of thing. And they were going to sit down and play this game. And everyone was like, why are they playing this complicated game? It doesn't make any sense. It, it's way too much to expect the audience to sort of pick up in the second hour of this movie. Um, and I think in their head, it was like a callback to Casino Royale, but it just didn't work. It wasn't working. And so then I think, I think what I remember reading was that the, the torture chair came out of that. They're like, well, we need them to have some conversation. This card game isn't working. Torture. Let's just do a torture scene, we'll figure it out. That's my that's what I remember reading uh in these like mountain of notes. <laughs> See,
0: I was wondering, learning that this was a late invention, that it was something to do with Daniel Craig's injury, which I'm sure we're gonna talk about in a second, is like a, oh well we can shoot him laying down for a week.
4: Oh.
3: No, it doesn't seem to be the case. My guess oh. is when they looked at what they had, you're coming off of Silva as your villain of Skyfall, who had a real impact on audiences. And my guess is they were also looking at the script and looking at what they've shot and going, like, we need Blofeld to really pop. Like, he needs to be, like, a character that people walk out talking about. And he doesn't have anything that's that exciting. Oh, we did. (laughs) We did talk about him. (laughs) (laughs)
4: wish Yeah, for the yeah. Uh, I
1: mean, you even you even get that in like his introduction, kind of talking about the meteor and and very everything silver, like yeah. like that. Is that's I mean, they they basically yeah tried to replicate the rat story uh, that Silva's doing. Yeah,
2: bold of them to have his first line be "You can touch it if you like." Very yeah, <laughs> they're, they're very, very yeah. It's like they're <laughs> trying to riff on that sexual energy from Silva. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work it when work. they're brothers. <laughs> no,
4: it's, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God.
2: You're so right. Oh, oh
3: no. Yikes. Oh. Yeah. So, Scott, you cued me up there. Craig suffered a knee injury shooting the big train fight with Dave Bautista, uh, and they had to rearrange the schedule while he uh, healed up, but uh, it was worsened later on doing the parade sequence, which was shot later and uh the parade from the beginning of the movie and uh craig was in a fair amount of misery during this which probably explains why when he was asked on the press tour if he you know was really excited to do another bond movie
0: his uh answers were pretty rough <laughs> uh, we've all been tired before we've all been grouchy before i think i can put myself in his shoes i remember having a really fun argument with someone on twitter that he never said that and i i just uh, loved sending him the clip oh yeah like it's a it's a thing that daniel craig he was done for a little while he was done i think we all would have been done yeah
2: i i don't know if it's so strange that someone tried to deny that it actually happened that's a real the internet is a strange place it certainly, <laughs> yeah. Is. It certainly is
3: yeah and the movie was originally going to end with the line we have all the time in the world it was cut and obviously played a very prominent role when we got to No Time to Die, which we'll talk about another
0: day. See, I've heard this being bandied around in Bond circles as trivia. Did that mean they shot that scene? Or is it more they had planned to and they thought, "Uh, maybe not? I don't know. There's never been a deleted scene released, so we don't really know. Mm -hmm. Because he gets the DB5 at the end. like It does feel they could have done that. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. One for the the people with the the behind-the-scenes knowledge, let us know. Drop us a secret email and we'll... We won't tell anyone, I promise.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So the budget for this movie was $245 million. $45 million up from Skyfall. And domestically, it did $200.1 million. International 680.6 for a worldwide total of 880.7. Now, that's a very impressive number, but uh, Skyfall had done one point one billion, so it was seen as a little bit of a downgrade, but eight hundred and eighty million for a Bond film is still very impressive.
2: Yeah. And you don't have that twenty like fiftieth anniversary to ride on either.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where does that sit against the other ones? Is it like the second most popular of all time in terms of
2: box office?
3: Yeah, it would be just behind uh Skyfall at this point.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Unless you adjust for inflation, if you adjust for yeah. adjust for inflation, I think Thunderball is still like the most profitable. I think Thunderball, in, 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 yeah, Moonraker Goldfinger, was like, huge. Moonraker, yeah, but that that's like if you adjust for inflation, because otherwise, obviously, mm. these are the films, these modern films, would eclipse them.
0: Sure, sure.
3: And it landed at number six at the worldwide box office for the year, right between two family films, Minions and Inside Out.
1: <laughs> wow, we're really running the gamut of family films. There, we got like one incredibly beautiful pixar movie and then the bane of my existence (laughs) on the other side so
0: (laughs) well there goes your invite for when we tackle the minions (laughs) oh (laughs) yes Uh, it is a spy it is a spy film Uh, don't remind me don't remind (laughs) me (laughs) and the top three
3: for the year number one was star wars episode seven the force awakens number two was jurassic world and number three was furious seven uh, and oh. at the, I know. And at the Oscars this year, the "Writings on the Wall" song by Sam Smith won the Best Original Song. It also won the Golden Globe. Notably, the BAFTAs, who loved Skyfall, fell over backwards, nominating Skyfall for awards. Did not nominate Spectre for a single thing. Wow! Just,
0: wow. Can't say I'm surprised. Not even for the "Writings on the Wall." Nothing.
4: Wow. Yikes. I guess that's okay. like it, it.
2: Feels like it's family at that point. You can get away with criticizing them a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. The Americans were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll give you an award, sure." The British were like, "Yeah, we know you can do better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Try harder next time." Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's an interesting film to sort of tackle its uh, its history and how we got here. But let's uh, let's look at the return of the Spectre organization, the return of yes. Blofeld, the fourth. Daniel Craig film let's talk about Spectre gents you're here you are fans of it i want to know brody first let's have you up first all right what do you think of spectre in the year 2023
2: who yeah spectre in the year 2023 i yeah i'm going to co- i'm going to go to bat for this film pretty much every time i don't i don't know it, it's my the analogy that i use and this is kind of it's it's a vibes movie it's a movie that it, there isn't. If you're going into it to like really follow the plot, it's not very exciting. It's not a very. It's the action. I think is serviceable. There's some standout moments like uh, the fight with Hanks or the pre-title sequence, but in in general, I think several of the set pieces are a little underwhelming. Um, and then beyond that, I think because there is such a split between what Bond is doing and what MI6 is doing for most of the film, there there is a bit of a it feels like the movie lacks some momentum for good portions of it. And so what you're left with is this really moody kind of vibes movie where it's like, it's all about death and it's very morose and even visually it looks quite drab and I mean not drab, it looks beautiful, but there is like a very muted palette. And personally, I love that. I can get on board with it. I, I love Thunderball. I think Thunderball is a very similar movie in that it is a vibes movie. Mm-hmm. You just got to go with it because it's a very slow. And if you don't want to, if you if you if you're not patient with it, you lose it very quickly because it's like, oh, okay, they're in the water still, all right, sure. And I think this is very similar. Like Bond takes his time. There isn't a very a real sense of urgency, even though maybe there should be. Um but for some reason I keep coming back to it. There's something very addictive about how morose it is and how uh kind of I, I think they nail it in terms of like the theme of death, this sort of this this shadow, this spectre hanging over the film. I think Sam Mendes, to his credit, he gets that across. The movie feels like death, which I, you know, again, take or leave. But um, yeah, so that's my kind of my initial draw to it. I can overlook some of the plot contrivances or the kind of the weird directions and decisions they make because I'm so engaged with it on a tonal level. And I think, honestly, Daniel Craig does some really good work despite the fact that he is, you know, behind the scenes quite miserable. Uh, I think he's... He's sort of getting to show more of his humorous side. Um, the movie isn't a very funny movie, but he has some funny mo- mo- moments in it. I like the moment when he like he punches sure. the guy in the in the gut, and he's like, you know, stay, like stuff like mm, that. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. Dana yeah, Craig yeah. wouldn't have gotten away with that earlier, and it is it's nice that he's sort of settled into the role now, where he can sort of explore different dimensions of it while still being quite dramatic and serious. Um, so yeah, there are aspects of that that I like, and I will come to bat for the. Uh, the romance as well. But I'm sure we'll get into that a little later. Yeah. But I- I'll defend it. I'll defend it. I think it's not you know, it's not it's not as good as the Bond and Vespa relationship, which is I think maybe the, the downfall of it because it's going to be inevitably compared. But you know, I think we've gotten less from Bond you know, Bond girl relationships and you'll you get
0: know. no argument from me there. No. no. Yeah. yeah. So I
2: honestly as a package I think it still works even though it's not perfect but i wouldn't i wouldn't be comfortable calling it mediocre it's just different i guess
0: like it does a lot for you but it it isn't perfect
2: no yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't go and say like Oh, it's exciting, and it's it's not it's not an exciting movie. It's not a and maybe that's what you go to a bar <laughs> movie not, for. It's not exciting. Yeah, <laughs> it no, but, that. but it's truly not, and I think that's okay. I think that's kind of I I there are there twenty five of these things now. I'm okay with one of them, or you know, two of them if you count Thunderball being just these kind of chill hangouts that I just put on as a, like a mood piece, but. Yeah. yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll no? stop prattling on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, yeah, you, you, you're on one end of the spectrum now, so we've got to figure out where everyone else is. Yes. Spectrum. Griffin, what about you? The What's spectrum. that, Cam? Yeah, yeah. Spectrum. <laughs> <The> oh, spectrum. <laughs> I, I talked right over a really good line there. I'm sorry, everyone. Get, everyone should clap for Cam. Well yeah. done. Well <laughs> done. Yeah. Uh, we know what C stands for now. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Griffin, what about you? What do you think about Spectre now?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like Brody summed it up beautifully because the same thing that, that kept me, uh, going back to it was the atmosphere. It It, it is the vibes. I mean, it it's also the same reason again, I'm going to echo exactly what he said, why I am drawn to Thunderball too. Like I, and it's, it's not one that like, like it, in a weird sense, like both Spectre and Thunderball are films that I can just like kind of put on in the background and just kind of like have going on while I'm doing other things and, and go back to it and check it out and whatever. But like there there is this like allure to it that I I again, they just they fucking nailed the tone in this movie like so well. It's it's consistent. Um it's it's consistent with Bond's journey, um, with 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 the character's sort of. You know, having to battle like the the you know literal ghosts of their past coming back uh, to haunt them, and and whether or not they're going to be dictated by that, or whether they're going to you know push forward and and, and move uh, forward with their lives and everything. I I think it's like again, yeah, you don't get that thematic consistency without a mind like Sam Mendez at the helm of this. It, it there is like a th- he's definitely drawing from like his work in the theater uh, and like that's, that's there in Skyfall and that's there in this. And I also like how it's an interesting, it it continues on that, that messaging of Skyfall without being a complete retread, right? Of, of balancing the old with the new. It's like, okay, now that we've come to uh, terms with the fact that like, sometimes you do need the old ways uh, in order to like kind of move forward, you can't just solely rely on technology. So how does that how do we apply that um, to you know the world of espionage and, and stuff like that? And so we've got like C who's who's like, okay, we're gonna just like completely, Uh, surveil everything. And this is before, you know, his intentions and and whatever. It's like we have C who's like, we're going to completely rely on surveillance and these new forms of technology because of what happened with Silva in the events of Skyfall. Um, and, And, you know, Bond is out there kind of doing his own thing to show that you shouldn't put all of your faith in that because you need the instincts and intuition of an agent. Um, the the great line from Mallory, which is like, sometimes you need to know when a trigger, like or, or what is it? It's like, uh, a license to kill is also a license not to kill. Like, that's, that's the whole kind of battle here with, like, the technology and the surveillance with, like, Bond going rogue. And then you have Mallory kind of in the middle trying to grapple with, like, a a a a space that's, like, moving on away from what he's used to, but then also it's, like, on the other hand, Bond isn't necessarily listening to him and whatever, um. and I think he has to kind of come to respect and understand that sometimes Bond's in, intuition and his instincts are, like, he needs to just kind of, like, trust that because he's never let him down before. He has no reason to let him down before. Um. And then on the flip side, I think with Bond, Bond has to stop being a petulant child i think and 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 like learn to respect his superiors and work with them in order for this whole thing to to kind of work as best it can that's the other part i love about this film is that it it builds upon the the mi6 fam from the the previous film and it, we we see them all become a unit and bringing thing bringing different um uh skill sets to the table uh it, you know obviously amounting in them all working to stop Blofeld at the end of the film, which is, which is great. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I look, I I think it's a, it's a incredibly well-made movie that commits to an idea, uh, whether or not those ideas are for you or you think they, they were executed as well as they could have been, you know, that's obviously up to the person. But, uh, I think for me, you know, by and large, it, it, it's it does what it what it sets out to do like fairly well maybe except for that like third act, third act hiccup uh, where things don't come together as as cleanly as they should but
0: it's yeah. it's interesting that you uh, you both draw a, a a sort of correlation between this and and Thunderball because well for those who know my thoughts on Thunderball this this might give you an idea of my thoughts on this film but I think before we get there Cam what about you. Yeah, I mean,
3: I have watched Spectre a number of times over the years, and I find my opinion on it kind of shifts back and forth a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. My rewatch last night, I think my main takeaway was that, like, I don't know that Sam Indy should have come back for this movie, but at the same time, he's invaluable to this movie. Mm-hmm. Because I think what happens here is, like, when I watch Spectre, I very much see, in many ways repeating the beats of Skyfall like trying to essentially do the same thing again and it's not doing it quite as well the script I think is very messy for this movie there's a lot of problems going on with just the story of Spectre but because you have a director who's so good at you know working with actors visual storytelling mood tone all of that it holds together in a way that it wouldn't if you did not have a director who could do that But it did leave me wondering, like, did this director have another Bond story to tell that he could be passionate about? I'm not so sure. And I think that's kind of like kind of on the negative side of bringing him back. It seems like he was very exhausted by this whole process. And I think he was kind of like, yeah, I'm definitely never doing another one again after (laughs) Spectre. I don't think he was going to sign on to be their uh, go-to guy for the future. But there's so much good in it, even though like I... I feel like one of the biggest problems with this movie is the just unbelievable amount of importance they place on the events of this movie over Bond's personal story. Um, it's like they're trying to do what they did with M and Silva in Skyfall towards Bond and Blofeld here. It just does not work for me at all. It feels more like, honestly, I kept thinking of the Sandman uh, killing Uncle Ben in Spider-Man 3. Where it's like, uh, mm, we're yeah, trying to cre- yeah. uh, create a personal connection that really did not exist that much before, but we're trying to turn it into something here, and it's just not clicking. And mm. so that sort of stuff doesn't work for me. But at the same time, you guys talk about like vibes. There are unbelievable se- sequences or scenes in this movie. The Spectre meeting is mm-hmm. incredible. Oh, yeah. Just a fantastic set piece. A little moment, Monica Bellucci walking out towards, like, the pool or whatever. Oh, my God. Yes. The opera music playing and the hitmen all coming up behind her. Brilliantly directed. There's so many moments like that that I can never dislike uh, this movie. I know there's a lot of people that, like, really don't like Spectre. Like, we'll just say, that is a legit terrible movie. To me, there's so much of value in it that it makes it that much more frustrating when I see kind of recycling from the previous movie that's not as good and just very, very messy plot elements that... I just scratch my head and go like, it's like they had an idea. It was obviously something they were struggling with, but they would not cut it loose. They were like, nope, yeah. we will not rethink this. We must hold the course. We have tunnel vision on what this needs to be. And I just think they probably should have changed some things for sure. Hmm.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny uh, before we uh, go to you, Scott. Sorry, I, I wanted to, because you brought up something that I, was, that I was talking with Brody about literally right before we jumped on here. And it was the fact that I think a lot of, the, the issues with the movie stem from them trying to th- trying too hard to literalize the message and the themes that they're trying to explore here. Because I agree with you, they had an idea with how, what they wanted to do with Bond thematically. They didn't know how to put that into action, and so you get something like Blofeld being Bond's brother, which I'm, I know we'll explore a little bit later. But like Blofeld being Bond's brother. I understand symbolically what that's representing and like how that's supposed to affect bond and why he has to overcome that. And he's going to, you know, you know, let the past die, move forward, whatever. He's not going to be, he's not going to be dictated by fear and, and, and all that. It's a great idea, but you, you didn't have to necessarily, you know, go, go that, uh, that far with it. So it's like, I respect the decision. I respect the boldness of the decision, does it? I I, I don't know. It was it the right decision? I don't necessarily think so. But I I can I can see their intent behind doing it. Um, is just a bit too yeah, like literal. I guess is 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 how I would
0: put it. Yeah. So when I was in uh in school, I didn't have a lot of friends. Right. I I had a small group of friends. <laughs> <laughs> what has this movie done to you, Scott? Yeah, wow. <laughs> Come very well. <Wow>. Like pensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Yeah, you know, I always wanted to be part of a bigger group, and a part of me wants to jump on this bandwagon of of liking Spectre and sort of giving it, you know, a free pass. <laughs> but honestly, for me, I think this film is aptly named because it's a shadow of its former self. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> it's a, it's a I'm sure good I've taken that off of the Times headline of the review or something <laughs> like that. I didn't come up with it, but. I love Skyfall and it's like I don't like anything this film is doing. I don't like hang out Bond films. I don't like mm. Thunderball. I find it entirely boring and I went on the record saying so. So I'm hanging out, I'm vibing with Bond along this journey through death. <laughs> very miserable. <laughs> and it, there's barely any bright moments in this film. And, if you know, <laughs> color palette aside, there really isn't any bright moments at all. You look at, like, there's almost, like, technicolor of Skyfall. With all those rich blues and reds they put out. And this is just yellow. But <laughs> I, I, I'll put that to one side. Everything just feels like it's a step down. And it just feels like it's a shame. You've got all of this talent, all of this um, goodwill. From the audience, from Skyfall, they're like, hey, give me another one. I'm ready. I'm going to turn up. And they didn't deliver. The The story is not interesting. I don't think the bro-failed thing works for me. I don't think I can ever justify that to myself. <laughs> um, I think... I mean, I'll stick up for Leia Sadu. I don't know why she gets all this flack online. I think she does yeah. great with what she's given. Much yeah. like, you know, recent guest on the show, Denise Richards, gets a lot of stick for her, Dr. Christmas Jones. Again, did what she was asked to do. Yeah. But when it comes to the story, when it comes to the relationships, when it comes to the vibe of the film, the vibe is the word you guys were using, I, it, it, maybe I'm just not on its wavelength and I'm not mm. catching it. But I, I sit through this film every time, the two times from watching it and then the two times watching it for this, and I'm unengaged, looking at my phone, and I shouldn't be doing this for a Bond film. You put Skyfall on, I'm attached to the screen for the 2 hours and 15 minutes. This film, 2 hours and 30, uh, not the longest, but it felt 2 hours and 30.
4: Hmm.
3: I always say, like, Bond films are classics because they're rewatched. I don't know that Spectre is the most rewatchable of Bond films And that's something that I do struggle with. And I'm I'm not sure Brody would agree. (laughs) Well, maybe so. He's
1: the only maniac on the planet though, who has seen Spectre.
2: (laughs) I pop it on. I I just put it on and like, again, like vibe with, I honestly, I, not uh, not to cut you off on your point, but I think it's interesting. We we keep comparing it to Skyfall. And I think that is definitely uh, inevitable. Like, I mean, that, that is Mm -hmm. just, it it is Sam Mendes' second attempt. And, and, he's obviously riffing on what worked about Skyfall, and that's why they wanted him back. Um, To me, what I find so interesting about it, and what I think I appreciate about it, is I love that it's in conversation with Skyfall. I kind of feel like this is the the response to Skyfall. Like, Sam Mendes said everything he had to say about a Bond film in Skyfall, and then they asked him back, and he said, okay, well, how can I kind of challenge maybe some of the things that I brought up in that film? And so I think because... Skyfall I think when you look at it like you know very you know top down um it's an unconventional bond film that sort of brings bond back to a conventional place it's like bond you know kind of goes through this crisis of the soul and in the end he gets Q back he gets money penny back he gets an m and he's back getting the mission at the end and we're back to business and then kind of as the mirror image to that skyfall specter is kind of a very conventional bond story that basically has bond figure out that Actually, yeah, I, I know I came back around to this whole lifestyle in Skyfall, but actually, I hate it and I want to leave. And (laughs) I think something about that I find really interesting, just the fact that like we get like everyone's been begging for like the Bond goes and gets his mission and then goes and does his thing and the very conventional formulaic sort of story. And Spectre is that story with some bells and whistles sort of uh, attached. And I don't know. I I find that kind of interesting just how it is is kind of reflecting what Skyfall was saying about the character and yeah, I think they 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 try to replicate some of the the hype with with Silva and they try to replicate the relationships a little bit. But ultimately, I think despite that, the film is almost the 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 polar opposite of Skyfall, which I kind of just I again, I I think it's for bringing a filmmaker back is a really just a very interesting thing to do. You know, Lewis Gilbert did three, and he basically just made the same movie three times. And,
0: mm-hmm. you know, that's
2: fair enough. That's, you know, it worked, and why why not? And, you know, you could accuse Sam Mendes of doing the same thing, but I think he, I don't know, I, I kind of get, like, uh, he's a little more savvy about it. He's like, yeah, I know people are expecting this to be Skyfall again, and I'll give them the things that they liked about Skyfall, hopefully. But, I don't know, the movie kind of is almost the antithesis of Skyfall. And maybe that's why as someone who loves Skyfall it doesn't I gel. But I I and I love Skyfall too, but like I don't know, for something for some reason I find that really just compelling in and of itself. Just this idea of this filmmaker going back and saying, Maybe I maybe I would if I did this again I would do it the complete opposite, just to see how it goes, you know? But yeah, anyway. Kind
3: of. <laughs> well what I find like when I was talking about like rewatchability, I don't have an issue with the Bond stuff so much. Um I think what for me makes it kind of a tough rewatch is that when you introduced all these great actors as the mi6 kind of support team the scooby gang if you will it's like you cannot give these actors like what the you know the people of the past were getting in these movies like bernard lee or lois maxwell where it's like basically one scene and it almost feels like this whole c subplot to me just drags down the energy of the movie how much time we spend with a very 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 obvious villain yeah And what's going on back there, it's kind of detracting from the Bond story. And I know a lot of the criticisms are about the love story or perhaps the lack of chemistry between Bond and uh, and Madeline in this film. But I also wonder, like, if you were to tone down a lot of this kind of extraneous stuff in terms of C and all that subplot, if you could have focused more on the relationship and made it feel earned. Like, when she says, I love you, when he's in the torture chair, I sit there and just blink. I should feel <laughs> something. It should feel like, oh my God, it's like it has that kind of impact you get, say, like the moment in uh, Casino Royale when him and Vesper are sitting in the shower, or even Camille in Quantum when they mm. are huddled together in the fire at the end of that movie, where I feel a genuine connection between them. When this, you know, this whole relationship with Madeline, when it gets to that torture chair, I just don't feel anything. And I think having such a scattered
0: focus really kind of disrupts the like the pace of the movie but also that relationship i i I agree on the the seafront it's actually something i want to bring up in the uh the dislike section but let's let's talk good stuff let's talk the things we did like let's 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 relish in the specter for a moment or two (laughs) griffin i'll throw to you first something you want to bring up that you really liked about the the film you want to discuss yeah,
1: I mean, I we haven't really talked about it yet, but just that 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 opening, the pre-title sequence for for My Money, that is like a top 5 pre-title sequence in the entire series. It's so it's so exhilarating. I like part of me almost wishes the whole thing was a one take. I think that's the only negative about the the whole sequence. Now, I mean, logistically that probably would have been really difficult to pull off and like that there's your budget, right? But i just i love the confidence with which the movie starts and it's just like now nah, we're gonna do we're gonna do the typical bond uh you know pre-title sequence mission but we're gonna add some flair to it we're really gonna like you know uh call upon our our craft uh people to to bring it ever you know give it everything they've got and, and bring out all the stops and i i just and it's such a great way to kind of just like the, the you know the whole movie's dealing with death and and here we are starting uh, at the the day of the dead the the Dia uh, de los Muertos uh, you know thing in Me- in Mexico and we're just like coming in the first thing we see is like a skeleton it's like bonds in this you know s- uh, skull mask it's just like that's the other thing like the costumes in this this section are are incredible yeah. uh the it, it's not like a really flashy one or either like that's the thing like it's it's so just like. Subtle and slick, and it's just like, all right, we're gonna follow Bond to his target, and he's gonna shoot the target, and then we'll see what happens next, and we can ramp up the intensity and and everything. And uh, yeah, I just like that is that that sequence is just oh my god! Every time I watch it, I'm just constantly in awe of how they they pulled it off, especially because I believe Daniel Craig was injured mm-hmm. while they filmed this, which was part of the reason why I think they shot it as a oneer. I could maybe, like, maybe that's not entirely accurate, but I thought I remembered hearing something about that, but, um, yeah, no, I, I don't know, I mean, like, I, I don't know if we, any of you want to chime in on the on the one or specifically, but that that is, like, easily my favorite part of the whole film, like, from just a filmmaking perspective.
0: Well, there's a, there's a reason why two of our guests this week, Janny Tamine, the costume designer, and Gary Powell, the stunt coordinator, both spoke at length about this sequence they both loved putting it together i think it's probably one of the actually no i'll say it's probably the best moment of the film yeah i think it's the highlight of the film for me personally speaking it's it's action and i like the action i really like the specter meeting but yeah the, the Spectre, I mean, is is a great quiet moment. Maybe depends on what you're coming to a Bond film for. I like a bit of action. This is the moment where I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm strapped in. Let's get it. Let's go yeah. on this helicopter ride. The rest of the film is yeah, we'll get to that. But I I'm with you, Griffin. I think it's a wonderful moment in the film.
3: I love when the camera pans over at the very start, like just this vast parade, and you yeah. can actually spot Band, uh, Bond and Estrella, yeah. like on the right side of the screen as it whips over them. Uh, I love that sort of detail. Also, when they go into the hotel and get into the elevator, that's the elevator from *License to Kill* that Pam Bouvier got into.
4: Yeah, that's so cool. Is
0: it the same one? I hear this, but I'm not sure. It's the exact same door. Okay. Mm. Look at that. And it is in Mexico, <laughs> so same location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I, I trust you, Cam. <laughs> I trust you. Um, well, what about what about you, Brody? Something you really like?
2: Oh, well, let me, how long have we <laughs> <laughs> no, Sit I, I'll, back, everyone, listen. enjoy. Yeah, right, all oh, right. No. Um, <laughs> um, so, Iris in on Mexico. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, so I, I, I'm going to pick one thing that I, because we talked a bit about this earlier, and I don't know if we're going to come back to it, so I want to just get my, my thoughts on the table on this. I, I really have grown to appreciate madeline as a character madeline swan in this film specifically i know we get a lot more of her I in go with this. No, time yeah. Die*, this. and i think mm-hmm. that definitely does a lot to round her out and maybe make their relationship make more sense but honestly i got pretty much all i needed in this film i i the way i view that relationship and i don't know if this is intentional on the part of the like the filmmakers or the actors involved um it's it to me it's a end of life second marriage it's like it's like when you're when you like i 'll speak from personal experience so my um my my nana passed away f- relatively young compared to like my grandfather, and my grandfather eventually he like remarried or well, he didn't remarry, but he 's like in a relationship now with um with another woman and that is kind of the vibe I get from bond and Madeline, where it's sort of like a i don 't want to die alone kind of thing, which is <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean that makes it sound quite trivial and quite bad, but I think it's I think there's something kind of beautiful in that, like these two sort of lost souls who don't really like they can't escape this like, cycle of violence that they keep finding themselves in. Bond can't escape his work, and Madeline can't escape her father's kind of influence on her life. Kind of finding each other and saying, you know what, I'll walk away with you. I like you. I can spend time with you. I don't really know enough about you, but I think No Time to Die explores that angle of it very nicely but i like the Mm, idea that there's this kind of this yeah i I like i like that we can just sort of understand each other in a way but it doesn't have to be as passionate as maybe our past loves it's not going to be vespa he's never going to sort of rekindle that passion but you know he likes and understands madeline and i kind of got that throughout this where bond I, i i agreed her saying i love you really really kind of a weird line they probably shouldn't have written it that way because i don't think the way uh leah uh like like, delivers the line conveys actual you know love but there is kind of a like i care about you you know what i mean that's Mm. like what i get from that moment and i think a better sort of encapsulation of their relationship is when they're in the car driving up to blofeld's you know base and she just like grabs his hand and she's like i'm scared and he's like you know I can't even remember what his line back to her is, but it's like, I know, you know what I mean? Like this is kind of this understanding between the two of them. It's like, you know, you can lean on me. I'll lean on you. And that's what this is. And to me, that was what the relationship, all it needed to be. And so, yeah, I love you. Take it or leave it. It probably puts way too much on the, the shoulders of this relationship, but yeah, that aside i really like the dynamic between the two of them i think they have really good chemistry i know a lot of people disagree but i think craig and sadu have both have like this kind of very cold distant kind of um they, they give off this aura, at least in the roles right like i'm sure they're very yeah. warm lovely people in real life but in their respective roles they are both very cold and distant and i there's something kind of nice about these two cold and distant people. Kind of, they 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 kind of come together, and you see a bit of warmth between the two of them. But they're never going to open up to each other in the way that maybe they should. Um, and obviously, again, we see the what comes of that in the next film. But even in this film alone, I just like I've always really appreciated that. And as time goes on, I've really, I've just really come to really, I'm saying really a lot. But I, <laughs> I've really come to appreciate <laughs> what that means to both characters and. Just take it for what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm repeating myself, but I just think it's, it's, it's quite charming.
1: Yeah, well, to piggyback off of what he's saying, I think the thing that really cement, that, that sold me on their relationship, because I agree I, that I, I also buy into that, that relationship, too, on that level as well, um, was when they, uh, they go into the secret room. Together, which yeah. actually now that now that I think about it, that might be one that's of my, my favorite, favorite sequences. Yeah. yeah, in the entire movie. Because it, there, there's no dialogue. They're just they're looking at the the past uh memories and, and the pain that led them both to each other, that led them to this moment of where they're together. And I think silently that's where they come to understand that they actually have a lot more in common than they realize, even though she's the daughter of uh the guy that killed or led to the death of Vesper. Um, and so I think both of them kind of reflecting in that room on their, 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 their past trauma and uh, then looking at one another and like viewing them in a different light. I I don't know. I, I just, and, and that's another one that is like, it's all about the filmmaking, a yeah. lesser filmmaker would not have been able to pull a scene like that off or a scene like that would have just felt arbitrary or whatever, but yeah. because there's like a, there's so much intent behind what there's so much intention behind what Sam Mendes is doing with uh Craig and Leah Sado and how he's trying to sell you on that relationship uh in a different way than what we're used to. Um I, I think it 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 sings. It's it's just yeah. it's one of the the best examples of the actors authentically playing their characters, the filmmaker having this vision for what he wants to do with, with a sequence, and then, like, aesthetically, atmospherically. I, I mean, even, um, you know, Thomas Newman's score, which I know gets a lot of flack in this film. I, I've come, come around on I've come to really score. quite enjoy it.
3: Yeah. I kind of like the heavy metal guitar at the end. Yeah. With
1: it. yeah 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 it's yeah <laughs> um but like in that moment it's just like everything is working together and it's like you get a glimpse of like maybe not everything is on this level but this is like what the, the at its core that this is this represents their uh ambitions with the film
2: yeah and i think to your point i, I mean like not to I'll, I'll be quick about this but i i to your point about like how much what sam mendes brings to the film yeah as written i don't think bond and madeline are a very- compelling relationship. It's very generic. It, yeah. it is absolutely elevated by Sam Mendes and Daniel Craig and Sido. They, they they they. It is a, a microcosm of the film that I think they are elevating what's on the page in a way to deliver something that maybe isn't perfect, but is more compelling than it really has any right to be. And that's kind of, yeah, th- that relationship to me is rests on the shoulders of those three sort of filmmakers but
3: yeah there's that sequence in the uh, the secret room they wander into there that I, I did appreciate uh, Mr. White's do it for her board which reminded me a lot of that Simpsons <laughs> episode with Maggie Simpson where Homer has the do it for her in the nuclear power plant and you have all the childhood photos of Madeline I was like good on you Mr. White you're not so bad <laughs>
1: i never piece that together slaving so away inspector
2: trying to put food on the oh table oh my god oh my god that's so funny setting off
3: detonations across yeah. the world and looking up at that board and being like it's all for you kid it's all for you
2: <laughs> the boss shows up for dinner it's like great can't get away from the office
1: <laughs> he's making love to your wife he's having dinner with your family <laughs> oh
0: poor fella. we interrupt this program to bring you a special report Calling all agents, independent podcasting, much like the Spy Game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course, constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right, as you may know,
3: we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Harrison Ford's on the run, and we're in pursuit because we are tackling 1993's The Fugitive,
0: and I promise you, you will care about this one. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But, before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Well, what about you, Cam? Something you want to highlight? I'm going to highlight the villains of this movie. And I don't think many people
3: would put them in the top tier of Bond villains, but... I respect it. I am a villain guy, and if you give me memorable villains, I kind of... That'll go a long ways towards getting me on board. And I think, like, um, Mr. White is a continued invaluable presence in this franchise. I love that they bring him back and gave him a very, very good death scene. Yep. And he gets the classic, you know, kite dancing in a hurricane line. I just think this character was so invaluable to the Craig series that, like, yeah. he's kind of underrated. Because <sighs> so much of it became about Blofeld and Spectre and then all the the stuff in the final film with uh, Saffin. But I look at Mr. White as like the big icon of the Craig era. I love what they do with him here. Hinks is a mixed bag. I love that Sam Mendes is clearly trying to do a Spy Who Loved Me riff with Jaws. It's a lot of fun. I like that there's the moment where Bond's in the plane. People hate that plane sequence, but I actually like it. But Bond is in the plane flying next to the truck, and the two of them look and acknowledge each other, which is very much like Naomi yeah. and Bond in The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. And then yeah. you have Hinks like crashing through the windshield of the car. Like, it's playing that whole indestructible henchman stuff. Really fun. And their fight on the train is a huge showstopper. But I really like the introduction of Hinks as well, where he comes in and just takes out that guy's eyes. And a really frankly brutal sequence for a pg-13 movie but yeah there's a lot of promise to hanks i don't think they quite hit a home run but there's enough there that i walk out very happy with that character and blofeld as well um he improves i think in the next film i think Mm -hmm. they figured out what to do with blofeld when he dies when you have (laughs) (laughs) true but when you have christoph waltz And you have him tapping away at that computer, doing the torture chair. He's making that sing, even though it could be very corny.
0: I I just I I agree with you on most of that. Maybe not so much the Blofeld front. I do love uh, Mister Hinks. I do have a question though, and that is, what on earth was that gun? Oh, the double barrel (laughs) gun. Oh yeah, it's like something out of a uh, a Matt Helm film. It's it's bizarre. Yeah, well, I have two
3: criticisms of Hinks. Uh and they both relate to his little is it, like Is it both his thumbs? Well, okay, so it's it's his gimmicks. So the gun is introduced very cool, but they never really make an on the nose kind of reference to his special gun or anything. Like they never play that up. Mm-hmm. I think that should have been a stronger element of the character. Same with the thumbs. You introduce mm-hmm. a character with blade thumbs, you have to pay those off later on down yeah. the road. You've got to see him using those against Bond. There's a scene or a bit a snippet, I should say, in the train fight, which one of the all-time great Bond fights, you know, up there with like a From Russia with Love in terms of brutality and impact, great sequence. But there's a part where, you know, Hinks's fist slams but down, and there's a camera close-up of his hand. Those blades are on the thumb, and yet they are not showing you use like or showing him use them at all in that fight. So it's bits like that. I'm like, you create like a Jaws-like henchman play up the gimmickry of it you can do it in a way that still kind of ties into that gritty sort of more grounded aesthetic they're going for but they don't
0: they just kind of like ignore it and same with the gun they should have done more with that i I would agree i think if i'm gonna throw my like in and i i think it connects well to yours so it's actually a good time to say it it's just the action of this film i think gary powell does a wonderful job with this film we talked about the the pre-title sequence with all the stuff with the helicopter that's fantastic The train is amazing. Uh, The chase through Rome, I think, of the cars, I think is still quite nice to put together. It's nice seeing the Lamborghini going around as well. And also, like, the explosion at Blofeld's lab, which I think was billed as, like, the biggest explosion on film. At the time, I don't know if it's been beaten, but yeah. I think Oppenheim is probably going to give it a (laughs) run for its money. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Uh, but I I think in terms of this film, it, it does spectacle well which I know Specter Specterical. Specterical. <laughs> oh, oh. We'll workshop that one, guys. Sorry. But yeah, I I think there's it does action on a grand scale. And when it does it well, that brings me back into the film. The train sequence cam, I think, is a, is a great thing to shout out. But there's a lot of build-up to that, too much like From Russia With Love. Them going out to dinner. That dress, when she turns up in that mm. dress, and it's just meant to be like, wow, she stuns you with that. And also you get to see Craig in the white tux, which is nice to see. Just ticking Mm -hmm. everyone off on the white tux list there. So, yeah, I I, I think the action is is phenomenal in this film when it's focused on. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was an article where they looked at
3: movies they hated that had a scene that they held up as like, this is an amazing scene in in a bad movie. And I don't agree with this criticism, but they did include Spectre in that. And they cited that train sequence and were like, this is... They felt it was a bad movie, but the train sequence was so unassailable in terms of its impact and just the high degree of fight choreography going on that they were like, that's that's kind of the gem in this movie. I don't obviously dislike Spectre that much, but that train sequence is next level. Was that a Jaws riff with the canisters? Okay, yeah. I, I know what you mean because the barrels thing in Jaws is uh, so iconic, but it is kind of weird that you do it to a character named Mr. Hinks.
2: Yeah. Yeah? Mm. I think like that's just Sam Mendes just being like uh, yeah sure let's do Jaws <laughs> like it's son <kind> of he <laughs> was like running out of homage so he's like you know we're yeah. already doing sort of a uh, <laughs> we're already doing a Casablanca thing so throw Jaws in can we well, do
0: Spielberg not. yeah okay let's chuck that yeah, in why not, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: he does seem to be a child of the '70s so maybe that's like kind of his. This hat tip there. I with the car chase. I'm interested because I, I honestly, as a defender of Spectre, I honestly think the car chase is. I'm 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 more on the fence with the car chase because I think it is gorgeous. I think like those those two supercars, the fact that they are on location in like you know in Rome, just just, like like, spinning around the Vatican's like in the background. There, it's like what other film could get this level of clearance to be driving these supercars on you know in the middle of Rome. and so I love that, but there is like a lack of tension with it, where it's like they're almost too afraid to ding up the supercars, and so they and <laughs> so they, they they all just like they like they sort of come up next to each other, and then they peel off, and again it looks great, but it also feels like they're in more of a race than an actual like not, like life or death car chase. Which again, as someone who appreciates the vibes, is like yeah sure why not we'll have these supercars speeding around Rome. But I think in terms of like as a, as an action set piece, it maybe falls back falls down a little bit for me just because don't, I don't feel the the gravity of the of the the threat. Until the very end and I think yeah, there's a cool like sort of payoff with the ejector seat, but again I think the the worst damage done to the car is like they, they use a flamethrower and it's like okay cool. Um, yeah. Would have been nice to see more sort of collision I guess but
0: I, I get that. I, I like it for the action and I also like it for the joke being made at 009's expense.
2: Yeah, because I true.
0: I do question Double O Nine's musical choices. Uh, <laughs> New York, New York. Yeah, okay, you're a bond, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's a Double it, O Nine is a different uh, agent altogether. The thing with the car chases, it looks like a car commercial for a lot of it. Yes,
3: yes, and yes. It's beautiful, it's but beautiful you know, you were commercial. saying about oh yeah, you're saying about like maybe a fear of dinging these cars, but also the location they were terrified of damaging the location at all because it's ancient ancient setting right
1: that's true and
3: uh i think there's a couple things going on maybe they had to be just so overly cautious in staging it that it feels like some of the kind of the visceral nature of the chase is missing the way you get i'm not like insanely crazy about the quantum opening car chase but it has genuine impact like at least from an audio standpoint it really is like a punch starting Mm. that movie whereas like this one it's like, yeah, it feels kind of slow, and I think there may be some issues of all the cutaways to Monty Penny, which are kind of reducing the tension of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. The fact that, like, he's... Having a phone call, having a chat while this guy is chasing him and we're never really cutting back to see what's going on with the cars. We're just like, All right, we're just on the road and there's, there's like a this guy chat. chasing him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't hate the chat in isolation because yeah. I like what that does for the, the bond money penny relationship. It shows that they're not just like, oh, the secretary and the spy coming in or whatever. Yeah. Like it, I see it shows what you mean, though. General, yeah. It does cut uh yeah. detract
2: from the again the Exactly. Impact. That's
1: yeah. And that's my big issue with the car chase. It's just it feels kind of flaccid.
2: They do wait till they get down to like the, the... <laughs> The like the floodway before they actually start actually using their gadgets and stuff. It's like yeah, we've done the car yeah, commercial. Now we can actually have some combat, and then and right, the <laughs> right, right. To
1: and not to jump too far ahead, but I, I think that is I have the same issue with the car chase that I also have with the snowplane chase. And I in theory I want to like that snowplane chase because I think it's incredibly well executed on a technical level. I just don't feel anything. Like I like I I don't. You know, we, we're just introduced to Madeline. We know who Madeline is, but I'm not like fearful for her life necessarily because I haven't really gotten to know her at that point mm. just yet. I think, you know, having Hink, Hinks be the guy who's like trying to shoot down Bond's playing with a gun is cool, but it's just like it's this constant just like momentum, and there's no really like ebb and flows to it. We don't feel like. I don't really feel like anyone in this scenario is going to die or get injured or wherever or whatever. And then even to the point where like the, the wings kind of get cut off the plane and he crashes it into the, into the convoy and everything like that. Like it's, it looks good, but I I think just as a, as a sequence, it kind of just like starts, at a certain level and it just kind of like maintains that level which is kind of similar to the 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 issue i have with with the car chase i think the only action sequence that really has like a gradual uh, build-up of tension, which is, you know, at least what I would want from from an action sequence. I think is the the detonation stuff at at the end of the film when he's trying to get Madeline out. Uh, uh, he's trying to rescue Madeline before the building blows up and and all of that. That's actually done really really well, and you can you can feel the ticking clock and and everything. And and so um, and actually, uh, even though I the it's a, it's a really small one. The, the big explosion set piece. I just kind of like, like it, uh, just as a, you know, an action bit. It, uh, it's obviously just more of like a connective tissue than it necessarily is this big highlight reel or whatever, which is weird b- given the nature of that explosion. It's just one of those things. Where it's like, Oh, that like, that's the biggest explosion <laughs> in movie history. Like, like for that scene, like that's just a weird kind of way to conclude that. So maybe I wanted a little bit more of it, but it's, it's fine, um, but yeah, now that snowplane plane sequence, man, that just that sequence really lets me down because it is such a cool concept, and I don't think they they uh, executed as well um, as they could have, perhaps.
3: It's so interesting because, like, I know you your opinion is very common. I've heard that so much about the plane sequence, and it's actually a sequence that I really enjoy whenever I watch the movie. And I'm like, why does this work for me? I don't understand <laughs> yeah. because clearly I am in the minority on this sequence.
2: Yeah, I for me honestly I, I I I'll defend uh Thomas Newman's score you know till the sun goes down but I honestly think in that scene it's where that's my least favorite track of his I think Same. in that snow I, I I think I mean music is a huge part of sort of action like you know sequences anyway and I think throughout the movie his score works for me but in some of the action beats it's a little I don't know, samey. Um, I love the pre-title sequence, but the, the bits where you can hear him riffing on Skyfall, I'm like, eh, it takes me out of it a little bit, uh, and I wish he hadn't done that. But, I, I mean, I, I get why he's doing it, but, um, yeah, the, the, the snowplane chase I like more than I, I think uh, Griffin does, but, um, yeah. but the music is definitely, like, the thing for me where I'm like, oh, it's stopping me from really loving it.
3: But. Scott, you gotta settle it. Where do you stand on the snow plane? Oh, oh yeah. thumbs down. Let's go. Yeah. The wings have been
0: clipped. It is plummeting to the earth. It is uh it is uh, it just happens. It just happens and you kinda of wanna see yes. you, you wanna see Daniel Craig and and Mr. Hinks fight more. Like I wanna see them go, you know, mano a mano. Would you get you know Afterwards, shortly afterwards, but yeah, it, it it just happens, unfortunately. But speaking of it, just happens. <laughs> let's look at the dislikes before we all go completely cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> Griffin, we'll have you up first. Something you want you dislike about the film you want to talk about?
1: Um, I dislike how uh disconnected uh the M subplot is from Bond's mission, yeah. and I feel like they they realize that, you know, at a certain point and then they were like, Oh shit, we gotta, we gotta bring it together. I feel like they're both going on similar kind of trajectories. And I do like how, um, you know, M kind of grappling with the ghost of Spycraft, and, and like how that's informing the future and everything, like how that's about, you know, that's paralleling bond who is being told by the ghost of M to go on this mission. And, he's kind of dealing with that and also he's literally confronting his past with with Blowfeld and all these other things that are being thrown at him like it's like it's nice i see why they were cutting back and forth between the two of them but at some point you got to be like why why are these not more like intertwined like it, because at at the end when it's revealed that like sees a a specter plant it's just sort of like okay, yeah, i mean that 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 makes sense, but then why did it it just felt like they were operating too uh like separately from one another that they, they it was like i i don't know i i i didn't really like it felt like they just realized it too late and then they had to bring it all together at the end, and so like I would have liked more scenes between m and bond and and, and sort of exploring you know bond going out on his own and doing this thing and then like tying it into the mi crew because at some point you, you like the mi crew isn't they're not dumb they probably would catch on to the fact that like oh maybe what bond is doing is sort of like tying into what's going on with the nine eyes and c and all that stuff and so and then at the end of the day the c stuff and and that subplot f- feels very like inconsequential to the the climax of the film because you're really invested in bond's emotional journey and and the 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 m subplot the mi6 subplot just like feels like an afterthought when you get to the end it's like okay c dies they stop the nine eyes i don't really care about that anyways i i'm more invested in like the bond blowfeld dynamic and whatever and like yeah i get that this is like you know m's battle with a similar thing but i i I need more uh of them kind of together of the the, of these subplots intersecting and then becoming one and it it just they didn't do it as cleanly as i would have liked
3: and maybe like a connection between c and blofeld like yeah if you're going to establish him up as this pawn of blofeld give us a scene of them together a
2: scene yeah yeah
1: yeah. yeah, that's a, that is a that that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like just as like we want to see like M and Bond have some sort of like conversation before the safe house scene, you need to establish what's going on with Blofeld and C or or whatever. Like it, it does, you don't even have to show Christoph Waltz as Blofeld you could do the whole like you you know if they wanted to harken back to like things they used in previous films have the whole like secret Blofeld thing and have C talking to this guy and you're like oh who is that guy they, they were so caught up in trying to keep Blofeld a secret and it's like you, there were so many opportunities where you could have utilized the the you know his intimidating secret nature of the the fact that there is this this you know, secret org- organization out there that is, that is headed by someone uh that's kind of had his tentacles everywhere. Um And like, yeah, we got a little bit of that with quantum, but like in a film called specter that is dealing in specter, you're going to assume Ernst Stavro Blofeld is going to be in that movie. And so maybe like teasing him out a little bit, like, yeah, like you said, like the interaction with C and, 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 you know, even if it's disguised a bit like that's that's exciting stuff and that builds up your villain so that when you do get that reveal and it's Christoph Waltz walking out and he's like, you can touch it or whatever. It doesn't (laughs) throw you for a loop, right? Like it's like that's that's the other thing. It's just like there were so many missed opportunities to like build up Blofeld throughout the film and then you get it and then you're just sort of like. I like the performance. I see what they're doing. I'm I'm not feeling much of anything at this moment, and maybe that's the point, right? Like like the fact that he is this this bitter, petty younger brother, or or no, sorry, older brother, or whatever, <laughs> playing into the sibling rivalry thing, or or whatever. The fact that the father preferred him over Blofeld, like I don't know, it's like that's an interesting idea. Probably not something that you should have done with Blofeld. Maybe something that you should have done with a separate character who was. Franz Oberhauser right like if they had made him an actual character and had his vendetta be against Bond because of the fact that you know what happened when they were kids or whatever that would have played a lot better and I think even when you get that brother reveal at the end it's it's the fact that you tie it into Blofeld that just makes it a little weird and you wind up weakening the impact of a character that I think fans have wanted to see return to the screen for so long um it's 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 just it's messy right like because i'm conflicted because i see the intent i think thematically it works as a fan of bond and everything i don't know i struggle with that
0: i I don't think you're saying anything out of order or out of step particularly i think i think a lot of fans would agree with you there there's definitely like a dissonance in your head that happens when when c gets killed and you're like all right well (laughs) exactly yeah i guess i just invested half an hour into nothing Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) And
3: why not cast an actor who's like really charming and likable in that role? So
0: at least there's like a fun reveal. This was like Andrew, is it Andrew Scott? Is that chap's name? Yeah. Yeah. Like he was doing like Sherlock had been out. Like he was, he was hot stuff at this point. He hadn't done the hot priest and fleabag just yet, but (laughs) you know, he'd done Sherlock and he was like the go-to guy for villains in the UK. So I know why they brought him in and it's because of Sherlock.
3: Sure, but, like, like, why not cast someone who comes across as not a, like, skeezy villain? Like, cast someone who you're... Chutal
2: Ejiofor would have been great. He would have been charismatic, yeah. at least, yeah. yeah. Well, we know yeah. you
0: couldn't get the part then, Cam. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, I look like a weasel. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, But, uh, Brody, something from you, something you didn't like.
2: Yeah, I- I'm probably going to touch on a couple, like, like, similar things that we're all going to Uh, speak to, I think, because I think the flaws with this film are pretty self-explanatory in a lot of ways. The C subplot to me, I'm of two minds of because I get that... I I appreciate that they don't really try to hide that he's a a scumbag, because it's very obvious that you're introducing this new MI6 character and it's like, well, he's probably not going to stick around for the next one. This guy's probably the bad guy, regardless of how charming and nice he is. Um... But then, at the same time, no one seems to really like Bond. Especially, he kind of has like that weird interaction with him at the beginning, where he you know he calls him C and then goes about his mission, and then he just doesn't seem to think about C ever again. And yeah, and, and it's like yeah, 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 because yeah. he sees right through him. He sees right through him at the very beginning. Bond sees right through him, but then he never. But then he never really comes back to it, and it's kind of, it sort of feels like maybe in the back, like Bond should be going. I'm pursuing this outside. Of, He's Because he goes rogue, right? And he doesn't communicate with M. And it's never really made explicitly clear that he's doing that because he knows C's bent. He just sort of does it. And it kind of feels like there should have been a moment where he, maybe he's on the phone with Money Penny or he talks to Q in confidence and he's just like, you know, I don't trust this C guy. This is like, we got to keep this outside of the organization. And yet he never really seems to connect those dots. It's like he meets C, realizes he's a bad guy, and then just forgets about him. And... <laughs> Yeah, so that, that I don't think helps the fact that then we keep cutting back to M engaging with C in these like philosophical debates about spycraft and, you know, the, the the nature of good and evil. And it's like we know he's evil. Bond knows he's evil. Surely M knows there's something going on with him. Oh, but then he doesn't do anything. It it is they, they they delay this inevitable reaction. This inevitable reveal. Yeah, I don't know. Scott, looks like you had something to say.
0: Well, I will, I will just say, uh, famously, in the Skyfall review, I pointed out that I didn't see the Money Penny reveal coming. Mm. Mm. I also didn't see the Sea reveal coming. No. no, it, Dang true. Yeah. I saw really? him like, oh, new guy in the crew. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> oh, Andrew my Scott's here. God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think like <laughs> oh, about two, three, I'm push like, push oh, it. something's <laughs> happening. Maybe he is bad. And then, oh, no, he's a baddie and he's dead. But that was wow. it. Like, I was like, oh, it's nice to see a new guy. Jeez. This is fun.
2: Oh wow! They really got him. Huh? C. He
0: seems nice.
2: <laughs>
0: C stands for charming.
2: Yeah. <laughs> C for camaraderie. Like yeah, yeah. that's so funny. Oh well, then maybe maybe I stand corrected. But I, for me, I I don't know. I just I I kind of felt like Bond figured him out, and then just doesn't ever he like, he mentions him once more at the end where he's like oh c is one of your disciples or whatever and blowfalls mm-hmm. even blowfall doesn't seem to care about c he's just like oh yeah,
0: yeah. <sighs> anyway totally <laughs> blows his cover like thing. yeah 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 <laughs>
2: yeah bad I mean, guy. whatever and yeah, yeah so it, it just sort of seems like maybe again if if because i know sam mendes, you mentioned at the top that sam mendes wanted to do more of a proactive bond and i think if you're going to do proactive bond bond should be maybe acting on his intuition a bit more with this the guy who's Taking over Mi6, yeah. and he doesn't seem to be as concerned about it as maybe he should be. And and again, yeah, he doesn't even confront him in the end. It's all M. It's he's basically M's baddie for the movie, because I guess yeah. that was something people liked about Skyfall. So you know, M gets a more of a you know re- relationship with the villain. But yeah, I just yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I I on one side, I'm like maybe they should have made you know played into the reveal more and pretended he was good. But then I'm also glad they didn't do that. But then it's like maybe if you're not going to do that, cut most of his scenes. Just have it be a couple of little interactions with Bond, constantly knowing this is going on in MI6 and I need to stop it. But the, the yeah, again, they never really yeah. sort of come together. So well, and
1: and going back to the proactive thing, uh, like if you if you're if you're if your goal is to have a proactive Bond, like I understand that, like yeah, sometimes he has to kind of like take the rules into his own hand and kind of like go off and go rogue. But like, we've seen him go rogue for a lot of the films. And I know that's like a, a, a lot of the Craig films. I know that's like a criticism of those films. I don't really think it's a criticism. Or, or I, I like, I, I, it doesn't bother me at least in this movie though. I'm like, if you're going to try and be proactive and you're going to try and you follow this lead while knowing this guy in MI6 is bad, wouldn't your intuition tell you that they're linked? And wouldn't it tell you to clue like Mallory and everyone in on the situation before you go out and do this mission. Like, I know you just like, you you know, caused mass destruction in Mexico or or whatever, but like, perhaps if you had let Mallory in on what was going on, it just, it it felt like you, you learned to trust this guy at the end of the last film. So play into that trust. Don't, don't like play it close to the chest when there's really no need for for you to. And especially after you, basically seen right through one of the antagonistic forces in the film.
0: I want to just give you one quick chance before I move on to Candler Brody because there must be something other than C that you you want to highlight as a dislike that we can
2: discuss. You mentioned Hinks and Hinks is definitely a highlight of the movie for me. Mm. Um I think the prob- part of the problem is with him that you kind of get an inkling that there's like personal motivation for Hinks like he is like a social climber, right? He's trying to get mm-hmm. work his way up the ranks. He kills the guy so he can get the mission because he wants to prove something. And yet we never really get him... Again, I think... And this is kind of a trend in all of the Sam Mendes Bond movies, but like, we never really get any moments with the villains by themselves. We never really get like just a scene of the villains talking amongst themselves. And I think that comes to the detriment of Blofeld and Hinks here, where Hinks is kind of... There's like a promise of a really interesting idea like oh this is a henchman who has like ambitions and yet we never really get enough time with him and granted he doesn't speak but you could i mean you could convey these ambitions i mean they did convey these ambitions wordlessly but we just never really get an an idea of what he's trying to do like i think it honestly would have made more sense instead of having a cute jaws moment where he gets thrown off the, the train have him be who brings Bond and Madeline to Blofeld. They're going there anyway. Mm. Have him be the one that shows him up and is like, "Hey, look, I want to be rewarded for what I've done. Give me a promotion." And then Blofeld like dispatches him because he's like, "That's not what we do here." Um, he's uh,
0: he's seen killing Spectre agents in the film. Maybe he should be like collecting the Spectre rings and have loads on his fingers, like, <laughs> like jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: yeah, I kind of like. It's kind of like uh, was it um, you guys? Either of you read comics? Like it's kind of like a Green Lantern thing with like uh. When Green Lantern goes right. bad, he starts collecting all the rings, but uh, uh, oh, I, I would have liked that. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, it would be giving him an extra dimension, which I don't think he has, but uh, Cam, I'm going to throw it to you, and I think there is a, an elephant in the room that we haven't discussed in terms of dislikes. What do you have? I'm going to just talk about
3: like the mess of the story, sure. which is two primary things, and I'll start with the one that's maybe a little less uh, <laughs> the, the one we're going to talk about, but it's the everything is connected thing. Yes. Mm. Which is very much tied to, I think, honestly, the success of the Marvel franchise. You know, you had Avengers yeah. in twenty twelve. This comes out in twenty fifteen. And that whole idea of like all these movies you watched, Silva seemed to have a personal mission? Oh no, no, no. That was all just part of this grand operatic scheme that Blofeld was involved in. It just doesn't make sense. And I do love that uh Green is like really kicked to the curb. Yes. Where it's like <laughs> Where's Where's the cell for Green and Elvis? <laughs> <laughs> like Green Yes. Poor Elvis. I can totally understand Green. Green working for Spectre actually makes sense to me. Mm. But like they yeah. have a couple name mentions. There's no photo on the wall. There's no like grand acknowledgment of uh poor Dominic Green. Yeah. But all that sort of stuff, the way they kind of tie it together to what is something almost like a saw movie at the end. <laughs> When it's this, like, bombed-out <laughs> headquarters and, like, traps set up everywhere and ropes. It's just like, holy smokes, this seems like it would take a lot of work. Um, so, building to that and kind of this retconning of the previous Craigar it's the classic, they didn't plan it out. The same way when we watched Rise of Skywalker, it was like, oh, they didn't plan this trilogy out. <laughs> you get that sense as well that they were kind of leaping on a trend and trying to retroactively make all of this make sense. I think they should have just left Silva off the table, because I think if you say Le Chifra and Green, it kind of
0: makes more sense. Well, mm. this is where I think my problem comes in, is I know that they wanted to have Spectre. I completely get that being the thing that brings Sam in. But you've spent two films, not Skyfall, but Quantum and, and Casino Royale, building this new entity that is Quantum. And you're building equity with your audience about this new organization that is not based in source material. You can do whatever you want with it. With a cinematic universe, it's yours to play with. And they just piss it up the wall and go, (laughs) well, it was actually Spectre the whole time, kids. We just didn't have the rights to tell you yet. I just think, I don't know. I'd rather have had it been Quantum and actually see Quantum play out instead of just having this iconography back, which I get it. Blofeld has this storied history of james bond specter does I, I, I get it i get it i get it but you've spent all this time investing in this idea this ip this this new thing quantum you've not really defined it properly this could have been the film you did that you didn't you just turned it into something else and that feels like a waste
4: hmm.
0: yeah it's
3: just like i i kind of understand what they're doing in a way they're kind of doing what skyfall did where it's ending in this very like kind of run-down, personal location yeah. that means something to the protagonist, but it just doesn't work this way. No. And, and the other mess which ties right into this is the Blofeld brother stuff, which <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my head around it. And that, like, this kid he grew up with for a brief period of time who, you have no indication from their back and forth that these two were ever, ever relating to each other in any sort of social way. No, You don't even feel like you've like, like these two have ever met each other before, really, other than just saying things like, I'm the author of all of your pain. Great line.
2: <laughs> it a a great, line. It's a great line for a trailer. <laughs> it uh, give it that. Yeah, it is. It is.
3: But it introduces this, like, destiny narrative that, like, Bond was destined to have this villain who would grow up the same time as him, become a criminal overlord who would oversee this grand specter organization that would somehow impact All of his professional life and lead to this one moment. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't know anything about Child Blofeld. Like, Like, how did this kid get to where he is now? What was his story? Maybe in a movie where they had some flashbacks or something like that to establish exactly who he was. It just feels so weird. And it's the sort of thing I just, I want to make sense of it. Every time I watch the movie, I'm like, okay. This this will hopefully work for me this time. It still doesn't. And it just feels like at odds with a movie that's about MI6 taking on, like, global terrorism. It's so weird that the head figure, the shadowy figure, is someone who is, like, Bond's childhood,
0: like, playmate? <laughs> <laughs> It, yeah, it, it baffles me the interconnectivity and i i just uh actually i, I want to hear from you guys brody yeah. what, what do you have to say about it
2: i honestly i mean i I won't stand here and defend or sit here and defend uh the brofeld thing that just yeah mm. I, it is not the decision i would have made and i've come to terms with it i think you know i can live with it but i don't it, it's, it's just not a very intuitive kind of move um and yet, at the same time, I think sometimes it gets a little overblown. Like I know, and, I, and I, again, it's it's not hard to latch onto it because it is really you're not you're given so little of Blofeld in the film that when mm-hmm. he sort of mentions that, it's like oh well, there you go, um, that must be his whole deal. And I feel like maybe it's more, it's more incidental. It's kind of like. It's more significant in that it links Bond to this sort of this shadow from his past, more so than it's like what drives both of these men. Um, I know a lot of the time mm-hmm. you see online people say that, oh, Blofeld was driven by, like, that he built Spectre to sort of get at Bond, and I don't think that's really what's going on there. I think it was kind of, he kind of comments on the, the way their lives kept, you know, running into each other, but there was never a... Um, I don't know if there was intent to go after Bond until like you know, either, you, know you came into that my is life. That's some long-term planning,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, sense. and, I, and, and <laughs> I, I, I,
2: at the same time, I I agree. I think if we'd gotten gotten a little more Blo- like Blofeld sort of backstory prior to revealing that you know he was Bond's you know surrogate brother for like two summers or whatever, two winters, um, <laughs> maybe that would have. And I actually know in one of the leak. So I've I've looked in some of these leaked sort of uh, documents and whatever else. And um, I know at one point there was like a a line from uh, from Mr. White where he sort of explains where he met Blofeld and how they sort of started Spectre. And he talks about how they used they worked they were both um, I forget what they were now. They they both were part of some sort of mich- uh, mercenary organization and they worked together and they went and fought in some foreign conflict. And Blofeld was kind of this scrawny little guy who you wouldn't expect to be there, but then he, when, like, push came to shove and they were, their backs were against the wall, he started, like, just conniving and really figured out a way to survive. And he took Mr. White with him because Mr. White was physically capable of protecting him. And you got this, like, you got a much clearer picture of who Blofeld was and his history. I, for the life of me, don't know why. Oh, actually, I think I do know why they cut it. Because he also mentions that all their squadmates died and they kind of ate them, um, which I'm thinking oh, wow. maybe oh was a little like, only, <laughs> like, like beyond the pale for some of the uh, the, the execs that were because like, like they didn't like eat them alive, but they definitely in a survival situation ate some of yeah. their squadmates, and I think maybe that was part of like the uh, yeah, it's a little too much. So they cut the whole backstory, but I think honestly, even yeah. if you cut that element of it, just getting a, a history for Blofeld, would have made the fact that he is Bond's, you know, childhood, someone he ran into in, in his childhood, would have felt less central to his character. Um, It would have get, gave you more perspective on him. But I totally get why when you watch the film, it's like that's pretty much all there is to Blofeld. He is Bond's, you know, pal. But, yeah. I Yeah. Yeah. And again not the decision i would have made but I've, I've learned to live with it i think it's just sort of an incidental sort of feature of those characters and i like that it ties into bond sort of having to move past this this demon that has haunted him but again yeah, yeah. yeah. i do I really like his crafty saw i like the, the comparison to saw i haven't made that connection before but that's absolutely what it is <laughs>
0: He yeah, wanted to play yeah. a game. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, God. Um,
0: I suppose um, like uh, my my choice for dislike was going to be the the Brofeld of it all. And I will just say, like you, <clears throat> you turn uh the C character from an uppercase C to a lowercase C and really diminish that role a little bit, and you give some of that screen time to Brofeld. I'm not saying make the film shorter. But just give him five, ten more minutes to become more menacing. Have him do some bad things. Yeah. But then at the other time, the other way round though is historically the best Blofeld performances has been less is more. It's a guy mm. behind a you know a, yeah. some shades giving mysterious orders, and that's more scary than knowing more about Blofeld. So I don't know if that is necessarily the right thing. That's just my suggestion. So you guys have all tackled my dislikes except for one, which mm. we haven't mentioned. And I will mention because I have a strong dislike for the song, not the person, oh. uh. but the song. I think the writings on the wall is the worst Bond song wow. of all time. And I will put I'm it. with you. I, I will. I will put it below Lani Hall's Never Say Never Again. Oh wow!
4: Oh. That oh, is wow.
3: so. Many. Hold the phone. Uh, I can't. I can't. <laughs> join you on that journey scott but i i stopped just short of never say it ever again but i'm with you in terms of like quote unquote official eon james bond films writings on the wall was my least favorite of any of them it's the only one that i just wouldn't listen to no mm. the other ones i will sit and you know play and listen to them over and over again writings on the wall whenever it pops up on my like bond playlist it's like oh
0: oh why am i listening to this instant skip instant skip it's yeah. gone
2: i I, yeah. I actually agree with you guys i'm not a Huge fan of that song. I I like the melody. Oh, I be the think only
1: one defending. I'll be the only one defending.
2: That you will be. I know. And this is actually something <laughs> we've we've sort of spot on a little bit. But like, I like yeah yeah the I like the melody of it. I like the moodiness of it. I just don't think Sam Smith was the artist for the song. Uh it it it, it clearly they're going for sort of a we have all the time in the world love song, right? Like the song is about Bond and Madeline. It's about you know these these kind of these lovers, and yet it doesn't have the power that a song like that, like it's it's not Louis Armstrong, it's not Adele. And I mean, Sam Smith is a fine performer, but I just I don't think their voice was suited to the song. I don't know. It, it just it, it, I mean, obviously everyone talks about the falsetto, but the falsetto is quite upsetting. It's 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 not. It's uh, not really yeah, listenable.
0: yeah. I I'm just gutted that the the Radiohead song wasn't used. Any of them, <sighs> I.
3: You See, I don't like that one either. I don't think that fits oh. very well as a Bond song. Oh, I have nothing against God. Radiohead or that specific song, mm. but as a Bond song, I think it's lousy.
1: Interesting. Hmm.
2: There's one note. It is kind of like it hits its like specter and then it just does that. And that's yeah. yeah that's fair. I yeah.
1: love the I love the instrumental of that Radiohead one that is the only thing that would that would that like kind of irritates me about the uh about writings on the wall i i I just think when you when you hear the radiohead one you're just like this this fits the 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 complete tone of the movie uh just like the very atmospheric just like instrumentals Mm -hmm. and and just yeah like even even like yeah the one note of the chorus bit is in line with just kind of this general vibe. Just vibe of of the film yeah so this is
2: your defensive writings on the wall huh just praising yes, another song, is that, is a better <laughs> song. No, ra- that other artist yeah, was writing... very good
1: very good <laughs> yeah yeah that other yeah well it's, it's radio wow. it's tom york and it's just like what are you gonna do yeah. like come on even if they
0: just cracked it's out dumb. man of war i still would have been happy with it <laughs> yeah he <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be happy with that song okay well before we get to the knock list and we wrap this up Final notes. Anyone got any beating around? I had one sort of question for everyone, which is we get the famous line. I don't think it appears in any of the trailers, but, you know, what does C stand for? I've made some jokes about it in the episode. The film goes with careless. Have you got any better suggestions? Cam.
1: (laughs) I mean, we're all thinking, we're, we're, we're all thinking like, like cunt, right? Like, that's,
0: I mean that—that that that is literally where like every British person watching that film <laughs> yes. goes to. That is I, in my head instantly. That's the joke. That's what yeah. like Daniel Craig is inferring. You
2: know what is so? Yeah. It's it's so weird because I remember C. That that is. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was actually going to circle back before we ended the this segment because I, yeah, it, I, it's palpable when you're watching it with an audience. Everyone bursts into laughter when it's like, "Well, now we know what C stands for." Everyone, it's like like a. a Brings down the house, and then immediately the like the oxygen is sucked out of the room, and he says, Careless. And it's like, uh, shouldn't there have been a mm. cut there? Shouldn't we have left this scene? Like, because it's just, I don't know, it honestly it was palpable. And I, I, I like, the, I mean, I like memeing on it, I guess, I like joking about, um, Careless, but good lord, what were they thinking? Surely Sam Mendes knew, <laughs> like,
3: I'll defend that because I think when Bond says, I'm gonna call you C. The whole audience knows exactly what Bond means by that, and I think the joke is that M is so square he's like, <laughs> "Now we know what C stands for," and the audience is like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Careless,
4: Stork." <laughs> <enough>. okay. <laughs> yeah,
3: like I like that they're playing him as kind of like very square, and uh, you know, he's not Bond.
2: That's fair. Actually, no. You may have yeah. actually sold me on that moment. Wow, <laughs> yeah. I like <love> Spectre more. <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: yeah. How was how that? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, gents, Brody Griffin. Any final notes you want to chuck out for Cam? Chucks his out.
1: I I uh, here's what I'll say. This is this will be my my. I'll try and be brief about it. Uh, defensive writing's on the wall. The instrumental is beautiful. I think it is actually. Uh, it's a very like. Here's the problem with it. It sounds like a demo track, and you don't want your Bond like song to sound like a demo track when you. You know, dive into like the way the song came about. It it is very much a demo track. Sure. That being said, the instrumental is so seductive. It is it is about as haunting and alluring as the entire film. And I I even think that like the way Sam Mendes sings it is, it speaks to I
0: think you have the wrong like, Sam. The man. vulnerable <laughs> Sam Mendes sings <laughs> it. Wow, <laughs> no wonder it sounds oh. so
2: like falsetto. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Um
4: uh, you know. He truly can't do anything. Yeah, right, right. I, the, the, yeah, anyways,
1: I, I think the way the way that they sing uh the i I don't know, it, it kinda it, it speaks to the vulnerable side of a bond uh, as a character which i i know was the intent with with what they where they were going for they wanted to show a more sensitive bond and and stuff like that um i i think that they were kind of onto something with the lyrics too in terms of just like talking about like the past the ghosts letting that die so that you can move on and 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 you know not be bitter and fearful and resentful and everything which i think for me is like the big Core of the movie again, like I mentioned at the top, like the fact that you're not letting this specter haunt you, uh, and I think the film does a good job of of emulating that. and And I really, and I really do like the the uh, the title sequence, the 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 tentacle mm-hmm. stuff. Like that was just yeah, it was really well done. Yeah,
2: I could gush about this film. I and I and I don't want to give everyone the wrong impression. It is probably my least favorite Daniel Craig film, but I I don't know. I think there's just something about the, again, the, going back to the beginning and sort of tying it together, the way the, the complete package presents me with this complete vision, and while you know all the pieces aren't necessarily firing on all cylinders, the thing works, and when it really works, it, it's maybe some of my favorite stuff in the Craig era. Um, and and I think we, we didn't really touch on this very much, but I think it ties at least the way they made No Time to Die sort of speak back to specter makes this mm-hmm. film make a lot more sense you you kind of get the sense that even though they didn't do mm-hmm. part 1 part 2 this is like the no time to die is the part 2 to specter again yeah, yeah. a bold decision considering very few people like this film but I, I i kind of appreciate that these two films are one in the in a similar sense to casino royale and quantum of specter and no time to die kind of complete each other and while there are some shortcomings in, in Spectre, I think they tee up something quite nice in No Time to Die. So I can't be too mad at it, even when it's not maybe always working. But Right. Well, Cam,
0: anything from you? Any final notes before we get to the knock list? Uh, just a couple things.
3: So um, just kind of tying back to the whole coincidence of everything going on with Blofeld, it's so appropriate that... Uh, Right at the start of the movie, they're like, oh, Bond, here's your private uh, effects from um, the Skyfall. And there just happens Mm -hmm. to be a photo of Blofeld there. And it's just like, oh, okay, okay. But I will say, when they (laughs) bring that photo back later and we get a close-up, it's hilarious. Child Blofeld and Bond got a legitimate laugh out of
0: me. (laughs) I I love it. Glorious. I want that on my wall. I need to find a print of that. My wife saw that scene. She was walking through the the living room when I was watching it. She goes, "What what year did this film come out? I was like, 2015. She goes, oh. <laughs> uh, that was a bad Photoshop job. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, something.
2: And also, pinching those I- pennies at Sony. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Can anyone please answer me the toxicology of the ring and how it reveals all the people that were inspector?
2: I actually can. <laughs> okay, please. So oh my God, go, go, is, go, go, go. Of course. There is a, I, I, I've thought about this movie more than any man ever should. Um, And they really should have explained this maybe more in the movie. But there is in the ring a, you know, the meteorite that he shows, like the one that they can touch. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there is a mineral that is found only in meteorites that is, that is not, it's not radioactive, but it definitely leaves like a, um, has an afterlife that leaves some sort of trace, Uh. In the human body when it is worn and Mm -hmm. that is what's in the specter rings and so when they did the autopsies on all of the bond villains previously they found this very rare kind of like toxin in their bodies and it tied them to the ring because it's in the ring as well so it's not that their fingerprints are on it or anything it's that there is a mineral inside this ring that is so rare that it, it couldn't be a coincidence that they all have it in their system yeah (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think we should all just stop and, and lightly clap at that. I mean, amazing. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that is just, yeah.
4: The only hint to that is <laughs> that I... on
2: Q's screen you see that the like the uh uh you know, what do you call it? The periodic table kind of spectrometer number. yeah so, you yeah. see that and i just decided one day while i was watching it to google it and i was like oh this is actually a nice little detail Like they didn't bother to wow. explain it all. <laughs> i think you're the only person
0: i there. mean there there are a few specter experts or spec experts as spexperts. i'm now going to call it and... i'm putting
2: that on my resume
0: <laughs> you could do that absolutely absolutely but yeah that, I, that's blown me away that's blown me away
2: they probably should
3: have um emphasize that that's what was going on because it's very confusing
4: probably
2: <laughs> q probably should have had a single line about it like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah they were too busy showing like south africa being bombed on cnn which they also didn't bother to show us they just sort of had it on, on the tv in the background <laughs> like yeah. major plot point but it's whatever
0: well i think it's time we answer the question that we uh, tackle every week knock list time is spectre making the list of the greatest spy films of all time. That is a toughie. Uh, Just, gents, uh, some of the films that have made it on in the past, Bond ones, for instance, would be Casino Royale, would be Goldfinger, would be Thunderball, would be On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but lots of other spy films too, Three Days of the Condor, things like that. Great, great, great films. Quantum didn't make it. I believe Skyfall made it, Cam? Yep. Yep, so... Craig is two out of three so far. We have four votes. I'm going to go with Griffin first. Griffin, yes or no, do you think Spectre should be on the list of the greatest spy films of all time?
1: Well, I mean, if Thunderball made the list, then clearly, you know, <laughs> Spectre should be on the list. I was list outvoted on that
3: one, I have to, to say, say, but yeah. He was outvoted on Thunderball. I was outvoted on You Only Live Twice.
0: Oh.
1: Oh, that's brutal. That is brutal. Yeah. Um, man, I'm strangely conflicted because <laughs> I uh, if like my initial reaction is to say absolutely not because it is a very broken movie, but there is I don't know, like can you have Here here's here's my defense of it. Here's why I say yes, and I'm going to say yes you know, maybe the only voice on the panel to say yes, but because of this movie, if we did not get this movie and it did, it did not have the issues that it had, it would not have challenged them to make what they did with No Time to Die, which I do think is one of the best Bond films of all time. So for all the faults that this movie has, and my God, there are many, what it led to was worth it. And I think when you watch both of those films back to back, they do kind of have this like great symbiotic relationship with one another. And again, no time to die makes Spectre better. Um, And, and so like, as, as that is like the, the final chapter of the the Craig era, I, I, I don't know. It, it works for me. So that's going to be my, my rationalization there. I, I'm totally cool being the only voice on here that uh, feels the same or feels that way. So.
0: It's it's all to play for. That's one yes. It could be a sweep. It it could you know, it, you don't know. <laughs> Brody, yeah, we'll go to you.
2: In, you've put me in an awkward position here, Griffin, because I was just gonna do like a vanity vote and say yes because I figured I'd be the only one. But and I was like, yeah, I'll give it. <laughs> I'll give it. You know, because uh, I think it, I think it does. Well, this is why I did it. I wanted to challenge I you. you. I wanted you to challenge you to really think about you, this. I, I mean, I'm yeah. I know that that's based on an assumption of how, uh, you guys are gonna vote. But I don't know. I. It's tough because I think Spectre does something that a lot of spy films. Something I love about the spy genre is that sense of atmosphere, that sense of foreboding, grim, um, you know, kind of uh, morose, you know, that vibe. Um, yeah. And I think Spectre does that really well. So if I'm if I'm judging it as a spy film, I think. Spectre is it's not in terms of a plot the best spy plot but I think in terms of what a you know in terms of atmosphere and tone and the the vibe I want from a spy film Spectre does it better than a lot even even a lot of other Bond films that I would prefer uh you know on a more holistic sense um so yeah I I don't know I, I and there's also very few films that I think I can get what I get from Spectre you know from um so yeah, I think for that reason and that reason alone, and this might end up causing a you know a split vote here, but I'm going to say yes. But it's a it's a, it's a it's a hedged yes. It's me saying yes, but not for the plot, for the atmosphere.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, just for the listeners, it, it's very rare that we have a split vote, but the ruling is and This is uh, I I call this the born ultimatum rule. <laughs> uh, if it's a split vote, it's a no, because we can't have a consensus on the on the matter. It's fair. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, But as it stands, it's two yeses. Uh, Really, this hinges on Cam now because I always go last. So Cam, all eyes are on you, sir.
4: Well,
3: no. Why don't you?
0: Why don't you answer if you're an obvious one? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, yeah. Fine. All right. Cam wants to build some mystery here. I like that. All right. He likes the vibe. Um... (laughs) How Spectre? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's a no. I I this list that we're crafting. I know what is on it, and the benchmark it needs to pass is a very intrinsic thing to me. And if quantum didn't pass it, then there's no way Spectre is passing it. That's fair. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's very easy, like that. Yeah, for me, um, it's a
3: no for me as well. Spectre, it's just like, if I'm looking at the Craig era, it ranks pretty much at the bottom. Yeah. I think I've found more appreciation with Quantum over the years. And Spectre hasn't kind of pulled me up that extra bit. I haven't mm. fallen in love with it. I just think it's way too messy. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like it's a several script drafts away from actually working. And I like a lot of what it's doing. There's some scenes in here that belong. Look, there's going to be highlight reels many years down the road, decades to come, of Bond greatest hits moments. And there's going to be legit great moments from Spectre to work into those YouTube reels and what have you. Uh, but as an overall movie, I just can't put it up there with the best of Bond.
0: That's totally I mean, Well, we've totally run out of creativity and we're doing stuff like the the greatest pre-title sequences of all time <laughs> um, because we've run out of spy films to talk about. You can, You can bet that Spectre will be be discussed i think but i i i don't know if i could uh, if, if Cameron said yes i think i may have just quit the podcast <laughs> and, and asked and asked brodie and griffin to take my place as <laughs> That's when we do our best meeting scenes
3: then uh, Spectre is going to be very <laughs> yes. well represented. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh. yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: Best yeah. corporate hierarchy. Spectre, right there. <laughs> mm. Just yeah, yeah. I know that's fair. Be-
0: best use of meteorites in 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 a spy movie. You would. Yeah. I
2: would have <laughs> felt completely guilty if it had have ended up on the list. I'll be perfectly honest. I think I voted my conscience on this, but yeah, it probably didn't belong. On you know on on a greatest of all time list it it's it's a movie I appreciate oh absolutely but again yeah so I'm really glad this I, I don't
0: b- think Griffith agrees with you there
2: it's <laughs> panned out the way it- wait wow Griffin's going to bat for more yeah for it more than me the, oh no so
1: uh, here here is my secret plan I wanted to see if we could actually get it I wanted to make, <laughs> make Brody think about this. <laughs> Um, because I knew you guys were not gonna vote it. It, it, honestly if I had just gone right off the cuff, I would have said, no, absolutely not. Because it's at the bottom it's like towards the bottom of my bond ranking, even though I Yeah, it's towards the middle like it, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, I you know, I'm glad that we could get the uh, the spec spurts (laughs) <laughs> Which is uh, on, on the show. I, I'm glad we, we chose well for guests. I, I'm glad that you guys brought the enthusiasm for Spectre and gave a different perspective than what Cam and I did. Although we came in it from different angles too, to be fair. And there's a lot of love in this film. But two yeses and two noes were invoking the born Ultimatum rule. And as such, Spectre is not making the knocklist. The dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. Brody Griffin, I want to thank you both for taking the time to come and speak with us today. It's been a gargantuan film to talk about, and uh, you've been absolute stars. Where can people find you both online? Uh, Brody first.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm pretty simple. You can follow. Uh, Twitter is pretty much the only social media I use. You can follow me at Brody Cervelli. Uh, I'm sure the spelling for that will be in the description. Um, there will be
0: in the links below.
2: Yeah, there you go. Because yeah, I, I. That's pretty much where I. Sp- spurt off my random opinions. <laughs>
0: Your spec expertise.
2: Not just about Bond, oh Spectre. My spec spec expertise. I should just retheme the entire Twitter around Spectre honestly. That's I'm surprised you have That's a real yeah. good niche, yeah. Yeah,
0: there you go. And uh and Griffin, what about you? Yeah, so you
1: can uh check out the FilmSpeak YouTube channel where we do uh video essays basically every week on just like, you know, various films, you know, Marvel, DC, Top Gun, uh indie, uh, like, you know, just Movies in general. Uh, if you like uh, analysis and and weird takes on stuff, you can head on over to the Film Speak channel. Uh, check that out. Uh, and then, if you want to follow me specifically, you can follow me on Twitter at Griff Schiller.
0: And uh, wherever we have someone who does like a show or a podcast, on one thing I like to ask is what's a good entry point for our listeners to come aboard and check out your stuff. I mean, I would personally would have said one of your sort of the Quantum of Solace or the Tomorrow Never Dies or the Moonraker videos, really. But where would you recommend they go?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would totally agree. Especially if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you have uh, an interest in Bond and spy fiction. Uh, so absolutely, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to see probably like the definitive or one of the definitive like video essay defenses of Quantum of Solace, uh, we gave that thing everything we got. So um, you can go, you could go check that out. And that was that was like the first bond video essay that that we did so that kind of like kick-started them all um and then if you want to listen to a more conventional opinion you can check out our uh big one on casino royale
0: perfect well gents it's been a pleasure thank you once again for coming on the show thanks for having us yeah yeah thanks so much for having us well there you go cam that was our chat about specter Brody griffin i want to thank you both for taking the time to speak with us today but the question goes to you mr smith What are we talking about next week?
3: Yes, we have some big interviews to wrap up Spectre. First of all, we're going to talk to Gary Powell, the fight coordinator on the Daniel Craig Bond era, and also some other very notable spy films we'll dive into in that interview. And
0: Scott, I believe we also have another big one. Yes, and also joining us on the Friday next week, it is Miss Jenny Tamim, who designed all the costumes for this film and Skyfall, plus a bunch of other films, including uh, some of the Harry Potters. So And uh, the most recent Game of Thrones prequel show, House of the Dragon. So look out for that in your podcast feeds. And if you like what you heard on the show this week, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you're listening. And do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, I'm off to interrogate a mouse.